Hello, welcome to Wait for Game, a podcast presented by Melee Stats. I am your host, Kimmy at Wheat, and uh, you know we start a lot of these episodes saying we've got a big episode for you today. But I actually truly do believe it when I say that we have a really big episode for you today because we have to talk about one of the biggest tournaments of all time. We have to talk about one of the biggest losers runs of all time. We have to talk about probably the tightest race for number one we've ever seen, and uh, we are ringing. The alarm bells again, uh, as we do every six months or so at this point, to uh, figure out whether or not we're dying as a scene. Um, so we've got a lot and a lot to talk about. So I just want to kind of get to the meat of the episode. So we have, uh, you know, as we do when we have these types of episode, we have some of the most qualified people in the entire scene. We've got a person who not only is known for how much they know about the scene, uh, you know, both the game and behind the scenes, but is also, uh, you know, a pretty decent Marth player in their own right. I'm, of course, talking about my good friend Edwin Bunning. What's going on, Edwin? Wait, I'm so happy to be talking to you about Melee, um, just everything that happened last weekend. Uh, the fact that the sky is apparently falling. It's one of our many chicken the- little episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be able to do a trend at this point. Yeah, you get used to it when you've been in the scene a while. And I think, uh, you know, speak, speaking on that topic, there's a, there's a couple of people that we have on that have been in the scene for quite some time. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce both of them as well. Um, let, let's start with Taffo. Taffo, it's, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. Uh, it's been a while since Melee has seen you in capacity uh, other than, ta- than tweeting engagement bait or photos about dinner that you for your wife in many ways i kind of miss the engagement bait era i think we could use a lot more of it based on what the tl has looked like over the last month i i really have started to believe you're you're kind of like the dark knight of the scene the the here not necessarily the hero that we need but the hero we deserve so you know with with all that out of the way um, well. how you been and my theory is is that people need something to hate and if people can hate my engagement then it allows everyone else to go under the radar very good theory. Uh, and if you know if you are the Dark Knight, then that makes our other guest, um, I don't know, Robin, the Joker. We've got Blur here. Blur, how you doing? What do you what uh, Batman character do you consider yourself? And uh, you know, how are you doing? Both of those questions I'd like answered. What Batman character am I? Yeah, if Tafo's the uh, Dark Knight, I'm down to be the Joker. Okay. I feel like everyone likes him deep down. Deep down, he's their favorite character. We all, you know what? We like, all get you watch it. the movies for the Joker. You don't watch him for Batman. How good would the movie was have been if he's just him saying a gruff voice? Hmm. I could also be Bane because I feel like my body image and him pretty equivalent. Which Bane though? Are we talking about Batman and Robin, like the one that says Bond, or no, are we talking the movie. Tom Hardy Bane? Anyway, I'm happy to be here. You guys are whack. Let's talk. Well, we've got uh, we we're coming off of one of the biggest tournaments in recent memory, uh, the thousand plus entrance big house. And you know, we had an episode before this. We kind of talked about how big house always lines up perfectly to be this really important thing. Obviously, throughout its history, it served as this really important tournament. But it really, you know, it needs to be said that it steps up to this every single year. Um, so we went into it. We talked about how important it is and how this is ty- uh, the type of thing that like it 
not only like if Genesis anchors the year and creates the storylines, the big house is the one that like changes them all at the very, very end. And we saw that we saw crazy upsets. Uh, we saw a lot of people go on some unprecedented runs. We saw Cody and losers, Jay Mook and losers, Zane almost in losers, right? We saw all of this stuff. Uh, but Edwin, how was it from a uh, spectator's perspective? What, what were your kind of vibes about this, uh, about the weekend as someone who was not able to be there? Yeah, so obviously as a spectator, I always want to watch Melee, right? And there was plenty of Melee on the stream. Uh, there was plenty of Melee in part due to the efforts of people like Jackzilla walking around the venue, trying to stream as many matches as, as he could. Um, obviously, selfishly, I would like to be able to watch as much Melee as possible when it's happening. But, you know, all things considered, given the, given the constraints of the tournament, given, you know, what, what they could put their limited resources toward and everything. And the, and the fact that there were volunteers within the community that were going around trying to catch, capture as much of the magic as possible. I was pleasantly surprised with the amount of very good melee. I, I thought top eight was excellent. I thought the commentary was great. I thought the matches were excited. Even the ones that were, even the ones that were blowouts or lopsided were excited, exciting in their own way. In general, I, I just think that it's rare to have a tournament like the Big House or Genesis that has so much depth, right? Like having matches in round one pools or round two pools that are that get the venue excited or get spectators excited on a Friday. You know how many events I've seen like in the last year? For, forget the last year. How many events I've seen like since 2018 or so where day one just has no content other than doubles? This What events like the Big House do and what I'm glad they did this year with round one and round two concurrently with putting round two for the stream and having good matches nonstop in the venue. I just think it's a, I think it's a better experience for everyone in the, in the long run. And even, even doubles, doubles top four, top six or whatever was, was pretty exciting Saturday morning too. So all in all, I thought there was always melee to watch. There was always stuff to follow. Do I wish that there was more of it? I could have seen when it happened. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm not complaining too much. I thought, I thought they did a job well done. Blur, you and I were at the event. Uh, what were your experiences as someone who got to go? Um, the event was all right. It was uh, pretty much copy pasted from last year. That's what I told Robin. Uh, he took his venue layout and and his uh, and his format, and he pretty much put it in for this year. I think that's fine because I thought the last one was his best event yet. Uh, Big House 10 was my, in terms of from an event organized perspective, I thought his best job uh, that he'd ever done. Um, and so I think it's fine to just do an iterative rear. Uh, some new stuff I liked. He had a new arcade vendor who had F0AX, which is uh, the, the arcade version of F0GX, my favorite racing game of all time. I enjoyed that. I won every race I went on. Um, they, had the, they had also had arcade version of Monkey Ball. Anyway, I know you guys don't care about that, but the point is, is it was pretty much the same event uh, with a, with like that, and that was like the biggest new addition I saw as far as um, the actual gameplay goes and like all that. Um, I think it, it's hard to translate for people out there because there was only one stream. Uh, I think recording matches, uh, recording setup matchups are going to go up soon. Um, but uh, you know, it was a mixed bag uh, because, like, on one hand, I thought doubles. This was the weakest big house doubles we've ever seen. Um, you know, it's just top players seem to be trying to make events have less and less events. Big house used to have regional crews. Then they stopped that. Now, then, then now we're apparently not doing doubles. 
And in the wake of the fact that this is probably the lowest viewership big house that I can remember, um, at least in the last like eight or nine, I think we peaked at 45 and day one viewership was as low as like 1.5. Big house usually gets 70K, 75K plus. Um, I can't, I, I'm not sure of those numbers. I was there live. I didn't. I haven't even checked, but it was, it was quite low. Um, I don't really like seeing a trend of less premiere content and less streams. Uh, I think obviously they had a lot of limitations uh, because of venue internet and things like that. Um, but did it make me feel good and uh, did it make me feel like we're going in a great direction. So uh, I, I like that to be better. I think that's that's definitely the, the biggest bummer of the weekend. Uh, but the actual matches, like uh, the quality of the matches were really good. Um, best set of the tournament is either Mango Moki or Zayn Ossify. I think those were pretty clearly like heads and shoulders above. I thought uh, first set of grands, Cody Plup was pretty good too. And there's a handful of mm -hmm. other, a lot, of, a lot of good game fives. Um, stuff I enjoyed watching. Um, but um, also, actually, uh, Junebug versus Magi is up there too for best set of the tournament. That was also really good. And the real thing, Cody. So the, yeah, there was, a, there was a bunch of really good memorable sets. Um, ones which I think like if you made top 10 sets of the year list, I think like four of them from Big House might make it. Like, um, so gameplay was really good and it was very interesting. Uh, a lot of good storylines going in, um, you know, especially with such a lopsided bracket. It's always nice to see, like, have these big events, have Genesis and the Big House be these things that we prep up. And, the, and I guess that also prep up the community. It's always nice to see them actually have great melee because that type of thing, you know, we, we kind of take it for granted how often our large premier tournaments are actually incredible to watch. Like, like right, we, we've had big tournaments that uh, have not been incredible to watch. So having our the, like the recent few super majors that we've got to see be this good is something that I think we're, we're really blessed by. Um, Tava, what are your thoughts on uh, kind of where we're standing right now and what the big house, like what the big house means to, uh, to melee in 2023? I think you know, I think the players describe it pretty well, and it definitely passes the vibe tests. But whenever we think of the big events of the year in our landscape, it's Genesis and Big House. So um, it's nice to see that for the most part, people will do their best to try to take it as seriously as possible. And um, if I recall correctly, it was one of the most stacked events um, that we've ever had in Melee yeah. history. So I think it's always going to be the... I call it the Easter Christmas equivalent of like if you're like religious, like you have to go to those events if you're competing, or else you're not a good melee people player. Uh, yeah, we, there used to be when 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 we had Evo. Um, I've heard the word C and E Catholics or C and E Christians thrown around, which is Christmas and Easter. So I would call them G and E Smashers who went to Genesis and Evo, uh, and now I guess they're G and T B H Smashers, which uh, doesn't sound as pretty, but. But yeah, no, I do think that people really try to make their way out to this. And and you get, like, you know, we had last year, which is the 10th anniversary, you get people who have been there for all 10 years. And I still do believe that people are on the streak of being to uh, 11, all 11 iterations of it. So that's great to see. But let's talk about the melee of it. Because, you know, as, as you're mentioning Blur, we talk about, like, how important this is. But the sets were were pretty damn good. We, we got to see some great melee. Edwin smash historian yourself in in front of two storied veterans of the game tell me where cody's losers run stacks up because i think we just saw one of the best ever but i want to know from you did we just get to witness the best losers run of all time we're just we're going straight at it huh we're going straight at it i'm putting him on the coals on the hot 
on the hot seat. What do you think, Edwin? I think it's top two. I think it's top. I think it's in bets already. Dude, that's like such an. I think it's top two, and I think it's arguably the greatest. I think that uh, what Cody accomplished, particularly the scale of it, coming from round one of winners and losing there in a legitimate set to defeating a slew of opponents that are major contenders and people who can defeat major contenders is extremely impressive. Like when you look at melee history, when you look at the majors and super major, for, forget super majors for a moment, just when you look at majors, any, any event that we consider like worthy of that title, but usually the, the type of losers runs that we see if, if the person wins the event is coming from something like winner semifinals or, or winner's quarterfinals, if we're lucky, right? There's the winner's round of 16 run at low tier city seven where HBox lost to Albert and then cleaned up the rest of the tournament through losers. That's usually the furthest we get when it comes to losers run. But when we're talking about like the big, long losers run from like round one of top 64, where you lose that and you lose the next, next match and you could get 33rd, that truth be told, there's there's only like really three losers runs like that, right? You're you're talking about something like press start when Mango won that event after being DQ'd to losers. You're talking about pound three, which obviously we covered in our video, which came out <laughs> last this week. But there's the pound three losers run where he infamously played Link Dittos or DK Dittos or whatever with Link DK with Silent Wolf and then beat a bunch of people through losers bracket, beating the whole East Coast. And then you have this. So Let's let's recap this for a moment. We've had 20 years of tournaments for this game, more or less, right? You, we have an event with you know with, that's supposed to be the last big melee tournament ever, right before Brawl came out, where Mango beat the entire East Coast basically one by one. Seven years after that, you have a smaller major where he still beat a bunch of you know top West Coast talent and a lot of people capable of winning majors, and, and another loses run after he gets DQ'd, and then eight years after that. At a tournament that you could very reasonably call the hardest tournament of all time, you know, factoring how volatile competition is today and how how players can really beat and lose to each other. And I, and I think you absolutely have a contender. In fact, I think it's definitively above press start because of the, the prestige of an event like the Big House 11, the amount of people that were there and what it means. Now, between this and pound three, I think it's really hard to pick one between, you know, the the competitive integrity and the the scale of competition that we have today versus, you know, the the historical stakes of pound 3 and what it meant and what it meant to beat the East Coast one by one. But at the same time, I I've read a lot of people comparing this to pound 3 in terms of top 5 players versus beating top 10 players in a run. And I just think that the way that we think about these things and the way that we think about, you know, who can win an event, who's considered an elite player, it needs to change with the times. I don't think a, the amount of top five players that you beat in an era where nine or 10 people can win, probably 10 people can win super majors is an accurate way of viewing things. I still think that beating people like Hungrybox and beating people like Plup in a year like this one is extremely important. I think the difference between beating those players cumulatively and taking like a set off JMook or something is really is really not that big. And I think when it comes to the uniqueness of the scale of this run, I think you have a greatest of all time contender. And you know what? I'm I'm down to call it. You know, Cody didn't play on it. Cody didn't play on Corneria or Mute City or or Fox did it on Green. No Green plumbers. He did he, it. He didn't play it. with plumbers. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me it's top two and, and eight two? Yeah. Okay, can you Let's say that in that. your own it's, voice? 
It's top two, and it's not second it. place. Oh my God. You didn't have to change any words. Well, I, I do think that one of the things that gets brought up here is that, you know, I, I was, well, I was not around for Patton 3, um, but it really just felt like when watching this Cody run, like at a certain point, I think we all kind of figured out that it was going to happen. Um, and that point was different for everyone else. But I think probably the majority of us kind of felt that way after he defeated Zane. But even before that, the path did look really, really good for Cody. Um, I do think that like the big difference between his run and Mango's run was just the expected outcome, right? Uh, we've seen Cody do all this before. We've seen like we've seen Cody beat Zane. We've seen Cody beat Na- Mango, even if that's not his uh, you know most winning matchup. We've seen him beat Hungerbox a, a whole lot. Like we've seen all of these things happen before. Um, and it's just like you know, should at what point does uh, does this like not have to hurt him? Right? We're talking about one of the best players in the world, possibly the best player in the world. Um, does that hurt his case? Blair, what do you think? What are, what are your thoughts on pound three versus this uh, run that we just saw? Oh, I mean, I think pound three is slightly better, but only because of extreme, extreme uh, circumstance. Mango was 16. It was like his first major. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had he was be- beating a lot of people for the first time, right? Like he a lot of those everyone he got- for the first time. Like it was like yeah. a breakout event. And also uh, the stage list was horrifically uh, against Puff. Uh, Corneria is just absurd. I don't think that context can ever really be beaten. Um, but in t- terms of like, unless, unless you like truly believe like modern melee is like so much more of an accomplishment than, than, than old melee, I, I'm not one of those people who subscribe to that. I think every era is really hard. And I think, uh, people who try to downplay, um, the old eras just clearly weren't there and clearly weren't playing and clearly weren't getting their ass whooped. Uh, but I was. And I can tell you it was really hard back then. And uh, it was very impressive what Mango did. Uh, having said yeah, that, Cody's is the work, second right? best that I see. <laughs> huh, what did you say, Tavo? Some things just don't change, right? Oh, all right. Getting get your ass um, beat, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that, yeah, that part stays true. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that Cody's is probably the second best I've ever seen. Um, kind of an absurd run. And an improbable run. Because he had a lot of close calls, um, I think. Uh, yeah. Like, th- there was like everything aligned for him. I, obviously, his clutch was really good, but the real thing had him dead to rights. The Zane set was like a coin flip at the end there, mm-hmm. um, you know. So you're just like, man, this guy uh, still won the tournament because I think at a lot of points, most of us kind of wrote him off. Like, if you're a spectator in the crowd, you ask people who's going to win this tournament. Um, you know, there's a certain point like where no one was saying Cody anymore, and then he end up ends up winning. So I think that signals uh, a, a good story right there, and, and why that why it was so special. Um, I will say though that by the time it got down to Zayn Cody uh, for that fourth place match, um, I think everyone thought whoever's going to win that's probably going to win the tournament. Yeah. Um. So so it did get down to it. Tav, I want to ask you your thoughts on on how this losers run stacks up. Yeah, but I think I, there's two ways to. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I also want to just talking, you know, how we compare these majors together, and also, or, or sorry, the, the the eras, right, between eras. Um, but like we've had a lot of data this past year to show that Cody might be 
a player who we we might you know in the future put up there with Mango in terms of losers runs, right? This losers run Battle of BC was a, a losers run that was very precarious. I think he was down one two, down one stocks to three versus Zane and ended up winning the tournament. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts on where this run stacks up, but also like where does Cody stack up in terms of uh, like clutch players, right? Right, all time losers players. So yeah. uh, you can start first with uh with the losers run itself. I think. I mean, I think there's two ways to look at it, right? If you're going to look at, like, quality of skill, like, melee is evolving technically. So, like, in terms of an absolute skill perspective, if you're going to argue that, then I think whoever makes the latest run, whether it's today, five years from now, or ten years from now, that's always going to supersede the past. And it doesn't make for fun discussions. So that's not... I, I don't think that's what we're arguing. I think Blur made a really good point about context matters. And the tools that you have matter. We didn't have Slippy back then. We didn't have all. We didn't have Slippy. We didn't have Uncle Punch. We didn't have good controllers. And so you kind of play with what you have. And I mean, I think it's it's pretty much a one A versus one B, where both runs are incredible. And it doesn't mean that if I pick one that the other is worse. But I I think I go with Mango slightly, with the caveat that says that this run was historical and it was incredible. Like. I don't think anyone denies it. I think if anyone were to bet on Cody winning from top 24 losers, like Mm -hmm. no one would, you'd have to get odds, like pretty substantial odds looking at the path. And the fact that he did it is just phenomenal. So that's number one. And then question number two, if you could run me. So we've seen some really great losers runs from Cody as of late. Um, Is he beginning to prove himself on the level of someone like Mango in terms of a losers level player? Um, so I think there's three ways like to look at a player who's like on the ropes or where they're like a high pressure, right? They crumble or they play below, they play at the same level or they play, they step up. Um, I think what we're seeing from a lot of players is that they're playing slightly worse and that's normal under pressure. And I think the strength that Cody has is that he has really strong game plans that he knows that he can rely on. So he's remarkably consistent. Now, is that the same to say like he just clutches it and the, the fact that he raises it three notches? I, I'm not quite sure. I would also say that his clutchness comes from the fact that his defense is really good. And it forces his opponent to play at a really high level to beat. Similar to like Prime Armada and even Prime Hungry Box, where like their defense was so strong where it's like, in order to beat me on this last stock, you're going to have to earn it. And that's what Cody does. It's really amazing how far we come. Uh, you know, remember when Cody was really starting to first blow up? How his entire thing was like, once he goes to losers, it's over. He, yeah, I, a lot of the the talk about him was this amazing, amazing player who had a mentality that was just really not able to to work through these things. So to see him get to the point where he's making these losers runs, um, and I think one of the first breakout runs he had was in losers at a it was Summit seven or eight i think some of eight um it's really really great to see that he is able to continue this and and, you know makes a lot of sense as to why when we talk about cody we're talking about a player who is contention for number one in the world uh edwin you gave me some stats earlier about what this year has been i want to interrupt for a second i want to interrupt for a second um so going off taffel's point it made me think like you know especially when you see a spacey's make a loser's run what we're used to is like they start 
like getting hot their, their movement starts mm -hmm. getting really good and they start running people down and like that's like the momentum they build from set to set it's funny because that's like not how cody's losers runs look uh because uh you know it feels like he powers up in all aspects but especially like tefo saying his defense he just becomes an unkillable god mm -hmm. uh, um and uh it's it's really funny to look at because not it's not like his i mean his movement was amazing and all that was great but um yeah, what keeps on standing out from him, from him compared to the rest of uh, the character, the people that play his character, right, is his defense. His defense is way above the rest of the foxes. Like it's not close. Um, like you compare him with like the next best foxes, the mangoes and the mokis, and it's like embarrassing, like how how much he gaps them in terms of defense. Like they do not live as long, not even close as long. And it also kind of goes to make me think about like, you know, the fox propaganda of how they talk about like, oh, he's a glass can, he's a glass can. I'm like. Are you watching this? He's like the hardest character to kill, in the, the hardest player to kill in the game right now. Uh, maybe you guys just just suck at recovering. Maybe you guys just don't know how to play the game. Maybe maybe you guys gotta learn from him because I think like if a lot of these other foxes had like even half his defense, like we'd see we'd see them have better results. Um, it's like he he has like one of the largest um, skill gaps in one area of the game that uh, we've seen mm -hmm. in a while. Um, like his uh, the other players who play his character just. No, are nowhere in his stratosphere um, in that category. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's what, what you say is is really pertinent because we watch those mango runs and God, when he is on one, he looks like he is playing like a man possessed, right? You can tell just by his movement uh, that there's something else going on there. And you're right about Cody. When, when we see Cody do these, it's it looks really like replicable which is uh is tough to say right it, it doesn't look like he is playing at a level that is not sustainable like the mango sets that we've seen the mango runs um they look amazing but like i look at that and i'm like well i don't know if we see that every single set we see mango but the cody yeah cody's consistency i think is is really just playing playing into these losers runs um uh, and part of that is the defense i think you're completely right edwin we were talking earlier today about the race for number one. You had some interesting stats to tell me between the two candidates that uh, that we have right here, Cody and Zane. Do you want to hit the stream with uh, with with your findings? Yeah. So this will be a um, this will be a preview of next uh, next week's Monday Morning Marth or so. So I'm these are the long story short is I'm going to be jumping into the Zane versus Cody debate. So if you're listening to this podcast or watching the stream right now, don't leak this. I, I trust you. Trust you guys. Don't. Don't give this away because I'm going to write it all next week. But based on my research right now, uh, I looked at four categories mainly, right? I looked at how do these people do against the rest of the major contenders? So presumably what our top 10 is going to look like in some order. How do they do against the field? Um, field like the rest of the competitors at majors. How many majors they've won? What kind of majors they've won? Is there a way that we can weight the majors differently? And then the last thing that I've looked at is how have they done at events where the other one was there and how have they performed overall in the year, right? So just to drop some stats right now versus the top 10. So that's any order of Zane, Cody, J Mook, Moki, Leffen, Hbox, Mango, Amsa, Plup, Wizard, Moki. Cody at events, not counting the off season two or redemption rumble. Cody is 28 and 12 while Zane is 27 and 13. That's a one set difference between the, your win rates against the highest echelon of play, what can be broadly described as such, right? 
So that's one one area where Cody has an advantage. However, Zane just doesn't lose to people who aren't in the top ten. And the only event at like the the only event which Cody did not win, <laughs> where he well, let me put it this way. So Zane doesn't have a loss to anyone outside the top ten within this calendar year at, at an event where he's going like Marth and everything. But Cody has four of those losses. Now, two of them came out of events he won anyway. He won Wisdom Melee, <laughs> the beating Zamu and a bunch of other people. He won the big house after losing to Morse Code in round one of Top 64. And the other two happened at one event, which was tipped off, where he lost to Polish and Kadoran. Everything else, Cody is impervious. Now, now, it, now, this advantage still goes to Zane, but something that I really want to make clear here is that these advantages they have, it's not like the difference between number one and like number six in a category, right? You're talking about people who are still like better than everybody else. This is by the margins against each other in just these two categories. Now, we go into their majors where they're tied at four apiece. But when it comes to distinguishing these majors from each other, you're going to run into even more difficulty because Cody simultaneously has the most prestigious major in there in the big house and the least prestigious one in major upset. And Zayn has a bunch of really good majors in the middle between SmashCon, Gommel, Fate, and... Um, uh, something something else that I'm, I'm forgetting smash and, and tipped off cody has two of them in there with above major upset and bobc and shine so even if you try weighting them it's really difficult you can't just say that one of them clearly has the better major victories than the other one because it, it because it balances out and then when it comes to looking at how they do at events in which all of them have been been there together zane has been slightly more consistent but at the same time cody did better at the two biggest events of the year so what i found is that at all the events that they went to together, Zane did better. Zane did better at at all, but or he out of like nine that they that they went to together that were serious events. Like Zane did better at like five of them, and Cody did better at like four of them or something like that. I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at this right now. So this is basically so the long story short is that in any category you look at, which is relevant for determining number one ace, the advantages that they have on each other in those categories are slim. And not only they're slim, they're like equally slim in every category. So I, so I'm not like there's no there's no BS here. There's no cap when I say that this is genuinely the closest number one race I've like ever seen. And right and as of right now, not that I know of, Zane's not going to any majors for the rest of the year. Cody's going to a couple events. Supposedly he wants to take you know take them a little more lightheartedly. He doesn't want to go super try hard. He might play chic in some of them. So what is the end of the year gonna look like for the race for number one? I, I couldn't tell you. It's over. Daffa, what do you think? What you've seen a lot of number one races. How does this compare to, to the ones you've seen? Um I know there's been contested years, like even the MLG, uh, the twenty fourteen year where Romango won the three biggest events, like Armada had better head to heads and was like you know, like probably a better overall resume if you just kind of equal normalize tournament prestige. But yeah, I mean, I think it is exciting because even before the tournament started, I think a bunch of us described like, well, what can Cody get back to to get back into um, like the at least people talking about it, and because it felt like going into this tournament that Zane was just so far ahead. And then mm -hmm. now we see that's a conversation of, wow, this is really close. And Zane got the exact run he needed to get back in into the conversation. So, yeah, I can't immediately think of another 
year where it's been this close. It's by far one of the closest. But I think Edwin's forgot to mention that uh, Cody's won like 50 million coin boxes. True. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the uh, tiebreaker here. That should be the tiebreaker. But yeah, it's overall super close. Um, memes aside, and I think that it would be a big travesty if Zane and Cody did not fight out, and we just kind of see that one person just sits out for the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about uh, storylines in, in Melee, and I was, I was talking to a few people before the Bakehouse about this, and maybe it's just the, the type of thing that happens when you look back at, like, recent history, when you, you're supposed to go, like, oh, that that's shit, we're cool now. But what we've been having recently... I think is so amazing. And not only it's it's how many people can win majors, right? We, we talk our heads off about how 10 people can win a major uh, and that's not fudging numbers, right? That's not like they have to do this and this and like, no, 10 people can win a major um, like relatively with, with relatively easy circumstances and not having to like cook a bracket for them. Uh, we've never seen that before. But what we're seeing is not only the tightest race for number one, but everything that happens, every tournament that happens is bigger than itself, right? It's bigger than a tournament win because it means something for the number one. But it's bigger than that because when you talk about Zane, when you talk about Cody, we are talking about players who are putting themselves in the all-time echelon, right? When you look at Zane, if Zane is number one for the year, he's number one as many times in the, in the SPM rank era as Armada and as Mango. And I know that obviously those players were incredibly good before we actually had a top 100, but he is putting himself into that category. There's very, very few people who have been number one in the world. And that list gets even shorter. If you talk about people who have had the dominance that he has had, right from online in 2020 to uh, kind of like a coin flip year for 2021 uh, with Mango um, to what we have now, which is, possibly two years of, of being ranked number one. And what we're seeing in his way is his practice partner, right? We're seeing the the thing that is stopping him from this historic thing, right? Stopping him from being put in the conversation of top five, top four, etc. of all time is the person who plays with the most, is the person who... You know, for people like us who go to tournaments, it's hard to see one without each other. When I was at Smash World Tour, the um, qualifiers, they played each other the entire weekend. They had the best Northeast, uh, the best um, North American players from the East Coast, right? They had, uh, it, I mean, it was, a, it was a bona fide major, and they only played with each other. These are two people who are determined to to duel each other, right? They're, they're practice partners. And like we are honestly seeing both of them pull each other up. It is some of the best melee we've ever seen. You know, Edwin, we talked about Genesis, um, Genesis eight, is that the year, right? Genesis, we talked about Genesis eight winner semis yeah. as, as one of the most powerful sets of all time, and the fact that it was two people who didn't make any mistakes virtually. Um, you know, a lot of times we talk about the best sets, we talk about really sloppy sets, but those are just two people duking out. Um, Shine, I think, also had this this feeling of just like two people at their height and i think it's just amazing to see we, we really don't get this even we've had hbox armada right we've had uh armada mango we had all these great rivalries but really it's a really good story over the course of years but a lot of those sets weren't pretty 
Like, right, we like the ones that Mango won, but there's a lo- hell of a lot of sets where Armada just kind of washed him. And the Armada Mango sets, or the uh, Armada H-Box sets, weren't a joy to watch. <laughs> like, like we are seeing I liked not them. only... Okay, well, you liked them. But we're seeing some of the best stuff that we've ever seen. Blur, what do you think on Zane and Cody? And what do you think on, on Melee's storyline? Because I've been hearing that we have no storylines. And I get that if people say it's no storylines, it's on the job of people like us. I understand that. But but I want to hear what you think as someone who has been in the game forever and is, and is currently pretty ear to the ground. So what do you think about um, Zane Cody number one and the storylines? So I, I think I agree. I agree. It's very close. I thought it was going to be Zane. Like I thought like in the middle of the season that pretty much like Zane was gapping too hard, that um, it was very unlikely for anyone to come back. And then, I mean, with this tournament, Cody just got the best win of his career by like mm-hmm. a large margin. Uh, and uh, Zane had what it turns out to be apparently the worst Zane possible performance, which is fourth. Like fourth and fifth seems to be like the worst he's capable of doing. Um, so that's like if Zane has as about as bad as he can do, and Cody has literally the best, like arguably anyone's ever done, and certainly the best he's ever done. Yeah, that tips the scales a little bit, um, especially in a low sample size year. And I think now it's basically a runoff. I think it's in both these players' best interest to not leave it up to the voters. Um, I think right now, if people want to vote, um, no one would know what to do. Um, and it would kind of be whack. It would be just like, I don't know, man, 50-50. Someone's going to get the number one. Someone's not. And it's going to be by, decided by like a margin of some of like one person or something. You know, it's like it's, it's not going to be fun. Um, I think that... Um, you know, like you said, the plan was Zane taps it in. He doesn't go to anything else. Uh, Cody would do a couple chill tournaments to round out his year just so he stays warm for next year. But I think that might be changing uh, because uh, – and uh, the, the Melee gods might have, you know, uh, blessed Arca Melee and Santa Paws in this scenario, right? Alabama, no one wants to go to Alabama, but now they might have to. <laughs> Uh, respectfully to the people in Alabama, I know your scene's probably pretty cool, and I've been hating. Uh, but look, it worked out for you guys. Look at you. Uh, you said put your tournament at the right time because it, this might just be the best result possible for Alabama. This might be the best thing that, that's ever happened to Alabama Melee ever. Um, maybe Alabama ever. Maybe Alabama ever, right? Um, though I think the Civil War turned them around for the better also. Um, they so, got good college football, though. Good college football. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, do okay, it. so point is that um, we might see some more results. I think we will. Um, we'll see. I know that me, Zane, and Cody accosted wheat after uh, the tournament. Did you Did you hear me say that word, or did we come to that? I also said accosted. You said accosted? I didn't hear you. Yeah. I just I know we did that. I said it to um, other people that I was accosted. Everyone's talked to Mr. President, said, Mr. President, we need your vote. We were lobbying. We were trying to think of new solutions for how to resolve this coin flip of a situation. Uh, clearly, Wheat is the most yeah, powerful man yeah. in Melee right now, and everyone needs to bow down before his feet uh, in order to get what they want. Uh, everyone wants a number one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be it's, – it's fascinating. I think another thing is we talk about Zane's greatness and how everyone's starting to think about him more in the top five all-time range, like maybe even fourth. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. eh, passing Ken's a little tough. But people are, are pretty comfortably putting him at fifth-ish, right? 
with some people saying he's better than Mutiking at this point. Who knows, right? I also want to talk about Cody because I think Cody's all-time uh, resume just got bumped up by a lot. Uh, yeah. Last I checked, everyone above him doesn't have a result like this. Like most of the people above him have never won a tournament this prestigious, this way, like this good of a win uh, in their whole careers, right? Um, maybe you can argue like Azen with his uh, big MLG win when he beat Ken and it went through that weird uh, qualifying bracket. Uh, that was that's like arguably as good of a win, you know? Yeah, he had to like yeah, literally the, fight the everyone. New York playoffs that that is like insane. a that level of win, um, you know. And, and some obviously like um, you know each of these all the all time grades have have good wins, but this one mm. is bumps up Cody's all time resume by a lot. And if he gets number one for a year, there are so few people yeah. in history who have hadn't gone number one. That's also going to bump him up crazy. So I'm curious now because it feels like I you know. Our, our mental space of where Cody is all time wasn't quite getting there in terms of like, oh, is he like a top eight all time player? Top not where is he at? You know, like I think now he's comfortably top ten. Like obviously, oh, that seems easy, pretty obvious. Easy. That's that's easy. So heading it, so heading into the Sierra, I, I wrote a piece about the different players' historical trajectories and like how things have changed at the start of this year and what we and what we could possibly expect from to see them uh, do moving forward. And heading this into heading into this year, I thought that Cody, Amsa, and Plup, all three of those players were in very interesting positions. And now, you know, months later, like we're near the end of the year, you talk about who's Cody's contemporaries. You're not just talking about the peepees of the world. You're talking about the Leffens and Don't music say games. Peepees of the world. If, if, <laughs> well, if call well, it PPMD. I, I think he's we're, arguably we're above. Show. <laughs> I, well, I think he's arguably above him this at this point, if not clearly. Uh, I think as far I also wrote another piece earlier this year talking about you know the each each player's potential case for greatest Fox player ever. I, I think it's kind of tough to beat beat someone like Mango for for that title let alone even like catching up to someone like Leffen who has so many solo Fox major wins, including Evo now. But I think for someone like Cody, you know, maybe he carves his own path as the greatest Fox player ever as the only solo Fox to ever be number one for a whole year. That would be a tremendous accomplishment. If you want to talk about storylines and melee <laughs> for 20 years, it's never been done. <laughs> We've never had a solo Fox at number one and it could, it could finally happen. The best character of the game never never having the sole title of number one by himself. So, you know, yeah, I, I just think that it, Cody's, the stratosphere of results that he's getting and the type of accomplishments that he has, you know, these are things that transcend rankings for, for, for a year or a half year or whatever. These are things that put you in, a, in an elite class of player where, where everything that you do becomes additive, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a question of whether it's significantly additive or not. And, you know, Cody's hitting that tier where finishing a year number one is, is the type of accomplishment that will propel him above so many other people. Or winning super majors will propel him above so many other people. So I just think that there's, there's there's quite a lot that he stands to gain from continuing to attend events, even if it may seem like it, it, it could be in his best interest to not go to stuff or be selective. I really think that the that the sphere or at the level of accomplishments that he has, like he could really do so much. Like like it will ultimately help him in the long run. Yeah. And it'll help him build an already very. I'd love to see them play sometime before the year ends, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see what comes to that. One thing I'll say though, I think you're completely right. 
And I think it's it's interesting, right? We talk about how old Melee is, and it's the kind of this perfect point where it's old enough that we have a history and that, that it's important, right? It's not like we're talking about who's the greatest um, ultimate player of all time, because it's like, yeah, that game hasn't been out very long, and most of the time it was out, there was a pandemic. Boo-hoo. Like, who cares? <laughs> Being the GOAT of that one doesn't have the same weight. Um, and it's not like basketball or something where in order to be the GOAT, you have to have this ironclad resume. Um, we're at 20 years where we have history, and yet it is a short enough time period where we are able to see everything matter, right? Every tournament you see that these people win, is it matters to in the long run, right? Like, uh, you're right. Every time we see Cody win a major, that is something that he has that uh, you know some other all-time great players don't. Like we, you, like you said, you know this this big house victory. Very few people who have a win on the level of this. It's one of the best victories, uh, you know, one of the biggest majors that we've seen, and a lot of people don't have that. So it's really amazing to see these players who are creating the history and are still in it all. Right, like these are players who are in the prime of their careers and are still pushing forward. Uh, into this, like the level of players that we thought at one point we might not have seen anyone break into, right? At what point does Zane become better than Ken? At what point does Zane become better than Hbox, right? We like these are are conversations that we never expected to have, and and yet we're already kind of getting into them. Not only with Zane, but with Cody. Like we're already talking about: is Cody a better player than uh, Leffen? Is he better than PP? Is he better than? all these other people who have had these really long storied resumes. So it's amazing to see that, you know, we're able to live in the history and have the great history of all these people before us, but still have enough competition from these players that they're able to break into this, uh, this realm, this echelon of players. Tafo, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on it. And then we can kind of get into what's going on at large in terms of smash right now. Do you have anything that you want to say on, on kind of what we've been seeing from Zane and Cody and also what this means for the larger history of smash? Um, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Cause I think even Cody himself talked about this um, and he went on radio melee uh, this week as well to kind of see like, is his legacy better than PPMDs already? I think the interesting thing, so there's a, there's things I'm excited about, but it it, got, it gets under certain assumptions, right? Cody mentioned that if the conditions aren't right, his career could potentially get cut short by having to go to law school. And that's the scenario I would not want to see. And so my hope is that they are kind of just peaking now, like they're starting to see success. And the worst thing that I could see happening is everything just getting written short, similar to like the post MLG era where, mm. where Brawl came out and MLG disbanded that like a lot of the careers of like Kareem DJ, PC and a bunch of these people that <coughs> quit because of circumstance. Like we, we lost a lot of narratives and potential from them that I hope I do not see with the players like Zane and um, Cody. So those are kind of my thoughts on them. Yeah, one thing I, I just want to add on to what you're saying, Tafo, and why, why I think what you're mentioning is so important with regards to Cody's career is that for this decade, um, I don't think I'm stepping out of line when I say this has been Zayn and Cody's decade. You're talking about, if you're talking about the, the greatest players of this new generation, you know, um, it's, really, it's really those two. 
there's there's great players like Jay Mook. There's great play, there's players that are coming up or now just starting to cement themselves in, in this position. Like Moki, there's all these Mangles other people had a pretty that good decade. Majors, Mangles, but it's pretty good. Yeah, well, yeah, but I think for but I think for people who like consistently won majors throughout and like represent this new era of the game, I think you mean. I think it's do you mean uh, past ten years? Or do you mean the twenty twenties? The twenty twenties. Yeah, and I think one more thing to add. A good, we good, have good to clarify. Who are yeah. ascending to like that? They are now cracking top ten, and we can start putting them in our goat pyramid. But I think there's a tier of players just below that, right? That are heading hitting the territory of like the Wizzies, the Sfats, and the S2Js. That I don't think we can really ignore. So, like, I mean, I think the history books when everything is said and done, uh, you got the you got Amsa, you got Jmu, you have careers that are still young where. I can see them definitely playing for like three to like five years at least. And their stories are still being written today. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I, I know it's uh, I think probably everyone has this where they get into the game and they are learning the history of the game because there's so much of it. And it kind of like, I don't know. I think when you get into something, I think it's really easy to hold that history uh, as like really precious. I know I did this when I, got into sports i like read all that i could about the history of football or whatever uh and then it became really hard to reckon what i saw live with my own two eyes as something that like could rival those things that i read about as like hollowed stories uh and it's kind of the same thing with melee is that i think a lot of people have trouble seeing some of the players that they they grew up or they got into the scene idolizing um and they have trouble like seeing that there are players who are able to surpass them um but i think it's a great thing for the game that that like we are able to see people break into this uh the session and yeah I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens in the near future and i think you're exactly right i do hope that we get to see more of cody it's it's this one thing that i think we take granted that these players are entering as much as they do i'll do play as much as they do because uh for a lot of reasons uh this is it's kind of you know not a given um we have 20 some odd years of, of history in this game and i think that it is one of the things that makes the game super special. Um, in these 20 years, we have seen a lot of reasons why people might want to quit this game for one reason or another, um, whether or not it is their own volition or something else. And it seems like this week we saw another entry into the long line of Nintendo fucking with us. Um, you know, Blur, we had you on last time. We had an issue with Nintendo. You're our go-to guy, I guess, when when the sky is falling. So, I want to I want to hear from you. Do you have a, a short little recap of what happened for the people who don't really know or might not be uh, super tuned in? What what has Nintendo been up to this week? They're always doing something, aren't they? We they're always like it seems doing like something. at least once a year, usually twice a year, they just remind us how much they suck. Like they just don't like let us be for a little bit and just like chill out with it uh they just have to like we have a cool tournament we feel very good everyone's inspired to play the game and then they come out with this like a day later and bum us all out we're like bro why don't you chill they're like that annoying person at a party who just doesn't stop talking the the get together is great everyone else is good but this one person is just ruining it for us just ruining Team it. rocket they're well i like team rocket i would party with team rocket jesse and jane they're they're homies meowth that's right 
but I don't like Nintendo at all by comparison. Um, I wish they were like Team Rocket, but they're somehow more villainous. Uh, what happened was that, amidst of nothing, apropos to nothing, uh, they dropped three uh, licensing docs, uh, community guideline docs, uh, for the major regions, I guess four because they did an Australia one too. Uh, in uh, Japan, which covers all of Asia, uh, Australia, which covers Australia, uh, uh, America, which covers all of the Americas, and and uh, uh, in Europe, which covers uh, MENA, uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And so basically the whole world. Um, and in those community guidelines, uh, they're asking for preposterous things. Uh, hilarious things, restrictive things that, frankly, no tournament currently in the ecosystem falls under. Um, Do they allow tournaments is, to have water? They don't want tournaments. They they won't don't want tournaments to have water. Um, they don't want. They will barge into your tournament and take the glizzy out of your hands if you buy from a concession stand. Uh, they they think that is bad. Uh, they're banning charity events. Like they're saying, like, yo, if you're a high school club and you're running stuff, you have to go through your school to get approval. Like, what are they doing, bro? It's just, it's just sus as hell. We have some imposters among us because now all of a sudden you're seeing uh, panda stands come out on Twitter being like, hey, they could have stopped this. They couldn't have stopped this. In fact, if you read all this and you see that, uh, oh, yeah, no, actually working with Nintendo seemed like a good idea, you have incredibly poor critical um, thinking skills and you should get yourself checked because. What we're seeing here is exactly the problem with Nintendo. Uh, they are antagonistic to us in, at every turn. Um, this is mostly a ploy to get uh, more events uh, onto official licensing so they can control them better and so that they have a better understandable database that they can wrap their heads around. I don't know if we should exactly give that to them uh, because uh, obviously it doesn't seem smart. But I'd like to repeat community guidelines they put out were incredibly restrictive and frankly none that anyone could follow. I don't think there's a current tournament in the scene uh, that, that you would know of that follows these community guidelines. I'm even talking about locals. Like the most local of locals doesn't currently follow these guidelines. Um, like no 20-man tournament that I know of follows these guidelines. That's how restrictive they are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. And, of course, the discourse has gotten as reductive as possible, even on this show, a show that I, you know, respect. And I view at, at the highest of, uh, you know, I, I, it's the pillar of Smash discussion. The, 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 the title of this section is Smash Doomed because apparently the only analysis we can do is, you know, is a doomer or is a gloomer, right? Like, that's it. Like, it's, that, that's all we got. Uh, I wish we go to a little bit more of an intelligent analysis where we can talk uh, instead of, like, I feel like every time we have these discussions, what we have to do is assuage everyone's fears. We'd be like, no, guys, please keep playing. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And that's what we do for like 30 minutes. You know, Fiction will put a tweet out, be like, is Melee dead? Look at this crowd. I'm like, bro, Shep, no one's even saying Melee's dead. That's not what any of us are talking about. Let's talk about what we can actually do about the situation. Let's talk about it in a more uh, more honest and in-depth way because, truthfully, this does suck. And it would be nice if we had some communal understanding over what we can do and what it means. And so for me, why I come on these shows um, is not to, I mean, to some degree, I like to, uh, to make people feel good, but the, I don't think this is, this type of show, I respect you guys once again, has a nerdy audience. It's for, it's for the hardcore. Everyone who watches this show, I assume is too down bad to ever leave. 
right? You guys are addicted. I get it. Melee's fun. You guys aren't going to stop playing. And you think anything I'm going to say is going to make you stop queuing to Slippy as you're here, as you're watching this? In fact, I think half of the people who are listening to me right now are playing Slippy as they're listening to this, right? They're not, they're not leaving Melee. What they need more so is to understand, to get the depth of understanding that we can provide them. So I try to tell them the truth, tell them the behind-the-scenes stuff, and, and really uh, inform the people. Because once we're informed, things like, you know, the charlatans, the imposters among us, uh, talking nonsense, well, well, those things don't, don't work as well, right? And, 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 and those circular logic and uh, uninformed takes don't catch on in the scene as easily. And I, I'm proud to say that I think for the most part, the scene is more educated now through this sort, these sort of discussions than they were in the past. And nerds, we need your help because whenever people come out like that, y'all need to be the ones that push back. So Blur, let me let me start off with something. Let me let me set you up here then. Okay. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about this, about these guidelines that have come out? And what is the truth behind what is the what what do they think that what is the underlying truth uh hidden in that misconception or what is the what is the contradiction to it that that you have seen? Okay. So number one, to push back on a horrible tweet by someone who, again, seems biased uh the, the the guy who runs luminosity uh said something like oh these are similar to other developers community guidelines they're not literally they're not spend five seconds googling rocket league or capcom or bandai or any of the other ones those are not even close to this they don't even include any of the you think you think bandai's out there talking about you can't do charity events you think you think that's on their stuff? No, it's not, man. And the numbers are literally multiple times higher. Like Rocket League allows us like 50k in sponsorships. Nintendo doesn't allow any sponsorships. Any. <laughs> like, what are we talking about right now? It's not even close. It's it's ridiculous to make that comparison, and it's comical and it's frankly callous relative to the history. Um, here is a second thing. Here's a second thing that matters. Those other communities do not have an antagonistic relationship with their developer. What does that mean? That means when the Capcom community and the Capcom player base gave feedback about the commu their community guidelines, it mattered to them that Capcom fix it, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're like, hey, we're probably we're gonna we want to try to follow these guidelines, right? We don't want to try to follow these guidelines. I don't think anyone is sitting here being like, you know what, Nintendo, come up with a new revision, redline this, fix it up, and we got you, bro. We'll fix it. We'll, we'll, we'll follow whatever you guys are saying. We'll go lock, step, and key. We don't want to go lock, step, and key. We want to fight the good fight. Um, and then that goes to the next biggest misconception. The thing that pisses me off the most, actually, the thing that gets me heated, right, is that people will look at this stuff and be like, oh, this just makes the scene more orderly, adds more process into the ecosystem. Isn't, isn't that good? This helps mature the ecosystem. No, that's not good. It doesn't mature the ecosystem. It just gives more power to the developer. And our developer sucks. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how is, that does not move us in the right direction. What are you talking about? No, we've had 22 years, 22 years where we've existed without having everyone and, and their mother uh, in a database in some, some uh, ghouls uh, PC. You know, like, I, I don't, we don't need to have everyone have a signed contract and blood with, with them. We, we don't. 
since when do we want that? Why is that more? Why is that process good? Why is that a good thing for us to have? I don't think it's good. I don't think it's a smart thing for us to be be doing. And it's not something I'm exactly excited about, right? So, um, you know, th what they'll say, of course, is, oh, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. This, oh, this is this is the Allen line. This is the one that's really stuck. The one thing he said that you'll see, you'll see, as a talking point from them, is that it's inevitable that the developer would be involved in a competitive community you need like it any esport needs its developer in order to survive exist uh and it's inevitable that they'd eventually get control i'm like it's inevitable bro it's been 22 years what are you talking about How, what more data do you need also there's other games which the developer barely involved look at brood war our, our, our closest equivalent in terms of an old esport blizzard activision don't even know what's really going on it's just running in korea it's being fine asl's dope right it's not inevitable what it, if you are too tired to fight the good fight then shut the fuck up is all i have to say right sorry for cursing uh, i know that might ruin youtube monetization but i have to tell i have to be there i have to be that show the passion right like this is a forever war it never ends even when they get all the power if they ever get the power if you're if you do believe it's inevitable you still have to fight the good fight you know why because they suck man i know it's hard to accept that in your souls but they do suck we have a different vision for the scene than they do they want different things out of the game than we do they do not care about prizing they do not care about our commentators they do not care about our legacy they don't care about our culture they don't really want any of us to be monetizing their ip as you see in the guidelines they don't really want us to be rtos to be making money they don't want everything they do has led to that point we are poor because of that general sentiment from them that they do not want us making money off their ip right as long as that stays true, as long as they are, they, they care more about their brand value than our competitive integrity, than our growth, we're not going to be seeing eye to eye. And yes, I know this can be confusing for people because especially you'll see like ultimate people who like commentated Nintendo versus event and they worked with some Nintendo people. They're like, hey, these guys seem pretty good because those those Nintendo representatives will look them straight in the eyes. They'll look them straight in the eyes and they'll say, we care about the community. And you know what? They'll actually they'll believe it. it's true. They do care about the community, but they care about the community in different ways than we do, right? So someone they care about our growth. And this is the thing that I've been telling everyone. They want and care about our growth, but they want it to be in their terms. They want it to be with their control. So when you hear a Nintendo representative say that, when you see that at the top of the, the first paragraph of a community guidelines, they do mean it. But they mean it under their terms and with their brand represented in the way that they want. And unfortunately, we don't care about their marketing. We don't care if Splatoon sells. We don't care about um, you know having uh, you know each of our each of our events be as poor as possible so they can extract as much value as possible from our scene. We actually want the opposite, right? So we don't see eye to eye, and we're not going to see eye to eye. And I hate to tell you all this until a new developer comes out. Until a reverse engineer version of Melee comes out that, so that we can pull ourselves away from their shadow, we're going to be in a forever war. It's not going to stop. You're going to see more of this every year. It's part of being part of Melee. Welcome to the Rebellion. Enjoy your stay. So, Taffo, something that... Uh, we can, we can At least give him his props. Come on. <laughs> well, well done. Well done <laughs> I appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. It's a good... 
Well, this is related to something that Blur mentioned, and, and Taffo, you, you and I have spoken about this, and obviously you've you've written about this as well. So Blur mentioned talking about you know what Nintendo wants, or part of what Nintendo wants here is control and and uh, getting getting certain conditions from events in order for events to operate with their license, right? So could you go into de could you go into detail about like what that exactly entails of, and and like what what that control means, and sort of how that how that's reflected in the relationship between events and Nintendo in this case? Like, what, what do they get, essentially? I don't hear Tafo. Yeah, I think, sorry, I think you might be muted. Yeah, I don't... Sorry, because I, I cough, I didn't want to um, cough mm. into the mic, so I mute myself. But the most salient point here is Nintendo's a company at, in the end of the day. They're quite a large company, right? And so their number one interest is going to be to protect themselves. And so they're going to do that at absolute any cost. And anything else that doesn't fit that ultimate goal, I hate, I need to find another word, but any, anything that doesn't fit that goal is going to be secondary, right? So if the community could make millions of dollars, like I'm just speaking hyperbole here, if like there were thousands, tens of thousands of people participating, um, the ecosystem grows sub substantially as a result, but there's like a 2% chance that something can happen that potentially damages the brand of Nintendo. Like they're going to squash it like that. They're going to do anything to protect the image of Nintendo. So anything that can create risk. And that's why they have the policies in there. Like they, it's like, okay, yeah. Charity events. Like one day they may have thought, well, um, this one school ran Smash Brothers and they ran a charity event in some country with doctors that went to the Ukraine and now they're getting backlash against it. So because that's a potential brand risk, like all these good things that we'd want to do that are good 99% of the time, they're like, nope, we got to protect the company. We got to preserve the image of Mario. So mm. like they don't foundationally care about the community in a way that they would ever compromise that. You know, at risk of... No, actually, there's no risk. I'm going to wind the blur machine back up. I'm going to take the big, you know, key at the end of, of, of your back and wind you up. We have a huge repository in our scene of, of clips and uh, other, you know, videos that you can point to. You can point to um, Mango saying we're cockroaches or Scar daring a police officer to come and take a CRT or even a very well done 30 some minute video by Melee Stats. We, we can point to all these things when we see this stuff happen, right? We, we And I wish we didn't because the reason why we have all these things at the ready whenever shit happens is because it's happened so much. But Blur, what I'm asking you is uh, what's the difference here, right? I saw I saw Jacob Wolf just retweeted his interview that he had with Aiden and Slime last time this happened. And I, and I think to myself, well, we're in a different place, right? We're in a different place than last time we had this conversation. Um, what it has, what is different about this than the last time we had a sky is falling moment, which was God, was it BTS? Was it, was it Panda? I don't, I don't remember at this point, but what is different about this sky is falling moment than everything else that we've seen? Um, okay, so the difference between this one and the others is there's no finality in this one. We don't really know how bad this will be. Um, and the reason we don't know that is because we don't know how much they'll enforce it, right? If they're going to go out there 
and send CNDs and DMCAs to events which do not apply to licenses and don't follow community guidelines, you know, like if, if they start actually enforcing it, then this is horrific and disastrous and like as bad as worse than anything that happened before, right? If they also are going to hold it against TOs for not previously being licensed. So for example, in two, three years time, if an event like Full Bloom decides not to get licensed for like this this next iteration, maybe the next iteration after that, and then they have they apply to a license because they grew, right? If Nintendo says, actually, no, you're not going to get the license because you didn't you didn't follow community guidelines in the couple years that we had it out, that is disastrous, right? But if they don't actually enforce this stuff, if they don't do anything along those lines. Then it's not that bad because it's just a bunch of words on a piece of paper that some lawyer came up with, came up with right? Mm -hmm. So there's that. The other thing that we don't know is we don't know how scared RTOs are in terms of how they'll react. Are they all in mass going to apply for licensing? Right now, we have maybe 10, maybe 12 events which are licensed, right? We're not happy about that number, but it's there, right? That number is a considerable portion of our scene, but it's not as much as Nintendo wants. Nintendo wants far, far more events to be licensed. Why do they want more events to be licensed? Because it gives them a database of names, company names, people um, who they can go after and have relationships with whenever they want to push some levers of control, right? So right now, as it is, they have a hard time putting their hands around the scene. They see something happen in the scene and they don't even know who to email right? They don't even know who to talk to. They don't know how to change things. They don't know how to really get the scene looking like they want the scene to look, right? Because they can't send an email to all the relevant TOs and be like, hey, fix this, right? Hey, do this now. Hey, add this now, right? But if they have that, they, they'll, they'll be able to do that. Right now, they have too small a portion of a scene to make the differences that they feel like they want to make, right? So that is also uncertain, right? The more TOs and the more of our com community is under their umbrella, the more the more worrying it is about the levels of control that they can in the future wield. We don't know how or what they'll use that control for, but it's probably not good, man. But it's probably not good because they are who they are, right? Um, and so, um, you know, what are they going to ask of us, right? If they're asking people to write their budgets for their freaking 20-man local on public Twitter, are they going to ask that for our majors too? Are they going to say, hey, Big House, yeah, from now on, give us your entire budget. And then when Big House says, yo, do you also mean like our broadcast rights and our sponsorship sales and all these other, yeah, they're like, yeah, absolutely. Give us, a, show it to us all. And now when Big House makes $5, they're going to be like, yeah, we want you to make $5 less actually because you're monetizing against our IP. And that looks like too much, right? And is that going to start, start making Big House think like, yo, I can't make money in this scene even a little bit because the developer is not letting me, right? Because they hate us making money so badly, right? Are they going to ask for more onerous things as time goes on as they get more control? So far, they haven't been able to wrap their hands around the scene and ask for the level of control that uh, and, and enforce the level of control that they truly want. It's a matter of, it, it really depends uh, on how much they exert that control for us to figure out how bad this is. It's possible because they're so slow moving that this won't, the effects of this won't be felt for a while. It's also mm -hmm. possible that none of us really apply 
they don't really enforce it, and this ends up being a much ado about nothing. But I don't think anyone's going to actually follow these community guidelines, so it really goes on to them about if they're going to actually going to enforce them. Yeah, that that's how I feel in terms of uh, like how worried I am personally. And of course, you know who I'm, dumb little guy. I, I could be extremely wrong, but in terms of in comparison to the other things that we've seen, right? The other moments where we go, it is all over. Let's wrap it up before they kick us out, right? In terms of that, those moments, I don't really think that this personally makes me feel as worried. But even before you said it, the, the thing that I, on my mind was in terms of how this will affect my life in smash or in smash in general in the next however many weeks or however many months i think is probably not as consequential as stuff we've seen before like panda and bts the thing i'm worried about is exactly what you mentioned is that we might see the real pernicious aspect of this pop up two years later three years later right we might look back at this moment as the one that changed it in a, in a, in a way that you know, might not be able to be unchanged in a way that you look at BTS or, or Panda Cup and Smash World Tour, and, and those might not have the same long tail in terms of uh, their effects. But in terms of, uh, you know, how we're personally feeling, how does everyone else feel? Edwin, what are your, what's your calmness level on a scale of green being calm and red being alarmed? Give me a hex code. Yellow. Let's say yellow cowardice what why are you yellow right now well mostly because the the restriction some of the restrictions they have if they're not ridiculous like some of the like the ones brought up about entrant limits and the ones about broadcast rights and budgets they're just very confusing mm -hmm. to read like there's like one of them i think it was like question 11 and question beat 12 that they had in the q a had to do with tournament blocks and splitting tournaments into different blocks. And it seemed like they were trying to write a rule that was supposed to get around potential loopholes so that you couldn't run multiple tournaments as one big, so that like you couldn't have each pool of the big house be run as, a, as its own tournament leading up to a final tournament, which would really just be top eight or whatever. But the way that it was written was so confusing. It was on like, if I didn't know any better, like and I, and I'm I genuinely mean this. It, it just read like they didn't know how like tournaments well, operated. Yeah, I mean also so, legal speak so, is, is so, written in a way that you're not supposed to be able to understand, right? Yeah, it was just it seemed like it was written with as much broadness and vagueness for them to to crack down on any on anything that they didn't like. Yeah, if it got too big. That's probably that the exact reason the, they don't know yeah. what's going on and they want to write yeah, it in a I way mean, where it, whatever they don't like they can crack down on, right? I mean, the, the thing that I think that brings me to the yellow, like above a green, is the fact that, uh, like, because they're writing this out for different continents, basically, like, and, and like, they're, it's sort of like a formal incremental step of like stating the things that we feared or that many of us feared, but putting it into writing. So I definitely think it's different than what existed before. But just because some of the guidelines are so just so beyond what events are expected mm -hmm. to do now and i just i really just don't think that a lot of regionals will just uh, will apply these and also just the the fact that like again I, i'm just speak i'm speaking just the truth here i'm not even like trying to make i'm not even trying to be extreme here i i just think that like having all these guidelines of things that you have to do if you're unlicensed or you don't have a license and then stating that even licensed events can still potentially be in danger 
or or potentially be shut down if they don't comply by anything in these guidelines, even for your license. Like, what kind of a? It seems like a strange way to negotiate, right? Or to try to get what you want by saying you have to do these twenty things that you've never done before. And by the way, if you're licensed, you you probably still have to do them. But even if you do them, uh, we might we might shut you down anyway. It just doesn't just doesn't really seem like. Like there's there's an even relationship here. Yeah, guess there so. is an even relationship. That's <laughs> yeah. the point. It is. There's no negotiation. Dynamic. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's here's the thing, right? <clears throat> Make no mistake. They don't think we'll follow the community guidelines. They mm-hmm. they're well aware enough to know that like these that their ass are crazy. They they're not that dumb. They're not dumb. All right. Um, they're in there are they are restrictive for a reason they are incredibly restrictive for a reason they're restrictive because they want people to apply for licenses again they want a database of contacts so that they know who to talk to within the scene whenever they see a new story whenever they want to start a new program or initiative or whenever they have a new panda who they need to like be like hey here's a here's copy paste here's a list of emails and here's a bunch of contracts we've already set up with them with licenses uh, and there, there are approved lists, right? There is no benefit for a tournament organizer to follow these community guidelines. Like, what do you actually get? Is Nintendo going to pay you? No. Is Nintendo going to give you anything? No, absolutely not. Is anyone in the world going to know you followed them? No, not really, right? Is anyone going to know that you didn't have an artist, like, it didn't sell shirts at your freaking 40-man local? No. No one's going to know that. Like, it's, it's, it's absurd to even think that they would, and they're not going to have the diligence to be able to go down to the, the nitty-gritty to figure that out. Rather, the specificity is so that they have ways to wag their finger at you, right? So they can, can go I, can and I, say, I, hey. Can I give a good analogy here? Go ahead. It's like you having to report to the police, oh, my like regist- my like paint is overly tinted. Um, my wheels may have not been like... I may not pass smog check. They may not hit you, but then suddenly you like run a speeding ticket. And they're like, "Oh, while we write the speeding ticket, we're gonna write you out for like these fifteen other things." So they have it all. So the moment you get a weed map sponsor or do something that is really bad, like they have a long list of things that they can tag you for. Yeah, I mean their nightmare is that we go guerrilla warfare, make smash G pages with no one's name on it, who they don't know how to email, and. We have alcohol and weed and, you know, uh, uh, like, and, and porn, like left, right, and center, right? Just ruining your YouTube algorithm. Sorry, wheat. Um, but <laughs> I, I hate that the freaking AI can, can trans- transcribe my voice and make me, make us less recommended, but whatever. Um, th- that is like what they don't want, right? That's like, when you talk about what they care about, they, they don't want that, right? Because that ruins their family friendly image. They think that, hey, someone goes to a tournament like that and they'll think badly of Nintendo as a result. I don't know what human being makes those type of connections, right? <laughs> that they think that Nintendo was involved with the community event. Um, but whatever, that's what the way they're thinking, right? And so they want to stop that at all costs. And the way to do that is by being and sh- by showing the world, here are the guidelines that we set out. Anyone who doesn't set out those are clearly against us and clearly not for us. Um, and they're also trying to carve out ways of like, if you look at the naming section where they're saying, Hey, don't include the name super smash brothers or even shortened versions of that. Good luck. Smash con, um, in, in your, in your tournament title, don't say Nintendo or anywhere in the title. Don't say you're, you're affiliated with us anywhere. They want to distance themselves so much because they don't want 
the associations that a third party organizer organizer is making in and running their you know wild west sort of event to come back to them that's what they care about that's primarily what they care about in this and they want to get as much of the relevant events under their purview in order to uh be able to control them so that they follow their brand guidelines as carefully as possible that's what it comes down to now as far as what edwin's saying in terms of like you know how much work went into this this was probably like two years of work for nintendo like this was for, for nintendo as slow a company as they are as 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 you know slow it is to go through the legal process for them like this sort of document was not an overnight thing this pro this was like two years of, of straight work um, this is an intentional thing, and it was, it was a lot of co a coordinated effort. This is the Nintendo versus department. This is the legal departments of every region. Uh, this 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 would get approved by relatively high up people at Nintendo, uh, in order to be put out. They know that anytime they put something like this out, it's a major PR story. They know it'll be an IGN article, as it was. They know these things, and so they at this point know to be careful. And so this was like about two years of work. Um, and you know they're hoping that the way we read this, we get scared. And uh, we sign up for licensing. That's their hope. And, and let's see if it works. I guess where it stands right now is we know that there very well could be an issue. And I think we're all kind of, I've talked to a few other people about this and they kind of feel the same way is that this does not feel like it is a death knell for Smash in the way that, you know, other news kind of felt. Um, so I guess we'll we'll leave it at that this is, you know, very interesting, bad thing to be happening, but something that I think the full ramifications of are kind of still up in the air, right? We have no reason to believe right now that Smash is dead, but we also don't have reason to believe that this is going to go poof and, and never, you know, come up again, right? Like, this is not like a like a villain in an anime who it's like, okay, well, that problem is dealt with. We will never see them again. Um, I think kind of the situation that we're at is that we're going to need more information and you know this just came out this week so this is this are, these are like the knee-jerk reactions to this um right now we need to see our tournaments able to run are we going to see regionals next year are we going to see majors next year on license are we going to see majors license that have changed in any single way um i think right now as it stands we have a lot to see before we know, and I and I think it's going to take a long time before we actually know the full ramifications of what these licensing uh, guidelines mean. Um, before we wrap everything up, is there anything else that we want to say on this? To you know, I, I like uh, Blair as you said, we assuage the the crowd. Is there anything that we want to say to kind of talk about what this might mean and, and what what maybe makes this unique in terms of every other thing that we've had uh, before we go on to the uh, so other stuff at the end of the show. Here's, here's since I know Tio's watched this, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, here's what I'd say. With or without this, y'all need a hustle, man. Like, I, I'm so... Here's the thing I struggle with, right? It feels like, especially in the last couple of years... When any communal discussion happens, when anything that has to do with a community issue is even brought up, right? The discussion ends with people going, well, every TO is like in their own island. We are, we are a grassroots community. Every TO is going to make the decision that's best for themselves. And they stand pat and they don't actually fix problems that are 
larger and global and more than their event, right? The TOs are thinking so singular and it's so defensive because, of course, uh, they're threatened and they're worried that none of them are thinking long-term and none of them are thinking scene-wide. And I'm getting a little tired of it, right? I'm getting a little tired that every discussion we have feels like we're talking into into a, at a wall because the TOs don't do anything to solve our problems, whether it's controllers, whether it's the tournament scheduling, whether it's the um, the spacing out of events uh, during during the year, whether it's the way they run broadcast, the way the team, teams is degraded. Like, everyone knows these problems, uh, the way Nintendo's handled, the business side of things. Everyone knows these problems. But then the TOs go, we're a volunteer community. Don't ask us for shit. I'm like, dude, here's the bottom line. Here is the bottom line. Smash cannot exist and will die unless people put in the work. And yes, fruitless, pointless work. Work that gives you no money. But you are the one who stepped up to do it, right? And if you are the one who stepped up to do it and said, I take responsibility, then take responsibility, right? And actually think about these issues, right? I did it for like 15 years. And that's why here I come and I say, look, the best thing I can give you is my beautiful mind. I will always give you guys advice on what I think you should do, give you guys my perspective as a veteran in the scene. But I do not want, when I give that perspective, to hear back, well, man, it's not my problem. It's all our problem. This stuff is all our problem. And guess what? If we go down this slow decay any longer, if we have Big House next year with 25K views, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Your tournament won't exist in a couple of years' time, bro. I'm sorry. Right, you actually have to think about these things. You can't just walk into the uh, to to the to the event weekend and be like, "Well, I set up a floor plan. I hope people show up." You know, like you got to do more than put tables and chairs up there. You're also a community leader. You also have to actually care about the long term health of the scene. So, in what ways do I recommend TOs do this? Number one, diversify your events. You can't just be a Nintendo only event. They suck. Right? Add Street Fighter. Add Tekken. Mm -hmm. Add other games. Hope. Talk and work with the other platform fighter developers to help promote their games. Stop letting their games come out and die, right? I know some of those games suck. They haven't been good. But one is going to come along that's good, and we need that one to be succeed, right? For the most part, it's not been that big a deal because, frankly, I don't think even if you did a great job, anyone would have played those games. They haven't been that great. Only Rivals 1 has really been passable, right? But... There's got rivals two might come out. That might be a big mm -hmm. deal. And there's some other ones that are on the way. We need to give those games a good landing spot. And we, we need to give them the real chance. We need to give them resources when they come out, right? They're mostly made by indie devs. They can't give us every resource that you're asking for, like a 2000 entrant smash brothers event. But for the long-term health of the scene, we need those games to have at least a fighting chance. Give them support, right? Not only that, but you add the FGC. Now we have revenue in ways that we didn't have before because we have the ticket sales from those events and we have the publisher support from those publishers. There's no reason, there is no reason why Genesis shouldn't have Street Fighter 6 at 2,000 plus entrance. There's no reason. There's literally no reason. There is no West Coast major for Street Fighter right now. It's the hottest game in the market. There are so many players, it's absurd. You know, I could walk out in the street and yell Street Fighter 6 and I have a 60-person Street Fighter tournament, right? Just from random walkers by in the street and who want to play the game. But TOs, you actually have to do shit. You actually have to do something that's more than your tournament. I swear to you, please, please, I'm begging you. The slow malaise is going to get us. And I don't like seeing that. I don't want to go quietly into the night. 
I don't like that. And I don't like seeing these sort of communal issues happen and nothing really happens on a, on a consistent, clear, unified basis. There has to be some level of unity. It can't just be, hey, every CHEO does their best. We're all separate. We're all on our little islands. It's not going to work, man. It's not, it hasn't worked for the last few years. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. Do something better. And the truth be told is you can whine all you want about how it's unpaid and how there's no future, blah, blah, blah. But if you did all the right things, I'm pretty sure you'd make at least an okay, uh, okay uh, amount of profit from your tournament. Adding FGC, adding uh, other games would help your profitability. The things that we need to do would actually help your event and help your profitability too. They're just work that, that you need to do. That's it. That's all. And I know they'll also look at me and they'll blame me. They say, hey, Blur, why don't you do it? I don't do it because I put my 15 years in, bro. You're the one who said you'll do it. So do it then. Say welcome to the revolution again. Welcome to the revolution. We got fun and games. <laughs> okay, let's not get copyrighted. We already we already got Blur over here talking about porn and weed. It sounds like a great tournament to me, but but it seems like our, our monetization might be uh might be up. Well in the we're air. getting blackjack too. Just blackjack. Like, I, Is there yes, anything yeah, else I, that I, comes with blackjack? Nothing. Nothing okay. at all. Edwin, you were saying. Yeah, I, I do want to say that, like, I don't think it's not like events are, you know, it, it, there's been talk about like viewership being down, obviously, this year without BTS being around. I think, I feel like that's a pretty big, uh, it's a pretty big contributing factor to that across the board, really. But, like, I, I don't think, uh, you know, if I can just inspire some, you know, hope and give TOs credit where where they deserve it. You know, events have done in terms of in-person entrance this year at regionals and even at the major level. Melee entrance have been pretty pretty much above across the board from last year, and even slightly above the board from like 2019 when Ultimate just came out. So so we're taking the long run. So like, I think the in-person part of events is is there. Like I think. I think to give TOs a little bit more leeway in a post BTS world, uh, you know, I, I think they, you know, th there is interest in events. People are going to them. <laughs> the events matter. I think that, and I, and I think that whatever you know decline that the scene has had on, on a viewership basis, you know, is attributable to factors that we couldn't possibly expected, you know, before like BTS crashing and also the presence of a lot of new majors, a lot of new regionals and a lot of TOs that are just entering the status of, you know, starting their starting their 15 years or so, right? They're entering that that spot where where a lot of people used to be when they when they were running majors and big events in the scene. So, I think so I I think it's I think it makes sense, you know. I, I don't think that uh TOs are inscrutable. But I think there's efforts to coordinate things for the scene. There's there's dialogue between TOs. There's coordination on the Smash Smash calendar. I just think think these things come with a lot of experience, and we're and it's you know I, I don't think I don't think factors like BTS not being around anymore, and things like a lot of new TOs just coming to the forefront of the scene are are a coincidence. I think I think the, these are pains that happen when you have a transfer of you know community leaders at, at different levels. And and the loss of a flagship organization. I think there's. I want to give them a little bit bit of credit here. No, I, don't. I do agree. More I, I don't want to give them any credit be nice. because because it's not getting through to them, right? Praising them is not getting through to them. It's praising them hasn't gone through, right? And someone in chat says, I don't know. TOs work hard to uh, to make tournaments that usually had no profit or at a loss. They have no obligation to make rule sets, provide regulations. 
etc. Probably work with Nintendo. All these sort of things like that really matter. You're right. They have no obligations, and that is the like that is the response I continually get, and that's the response that we all continually get, and that's why it feels like a waste of breath, right? And I'm saying this. Well, Blur, you're saying like, like even for the controller rule sets, like we're gonna like they. I'm pretty sure they applied like box nerfs that are gonna be started next year. You know, these these things take time. Yeah, it took like, two and a half years. Like you, you, you think that's a good thing? We had two and a half years of cheating. Yeah, you, you think that's a fucking like good thing, uh, Edwin? Is that fast enough? <laughs> yeah, but they have they have to have time. I don't even to think it's, these do you think it's out. figured out now? We're under a pandemic. Do you think adding input input lag and RNG is for, whatever? I'm not gonna go into that. Whatever. Point is, point is, the TOs didn't really help in that. PTAS went on his own in a little island with Knuckles, the homie, and and and, and figured that out. The chills were ready to have another decade of blade and cheating at our events. What not. are you talking like, about? Let me know. <laughs> you think I they helped? The How'd they help? You just said the T. You said the TO is not helper involved. You just named a TO. Was PTAS? You consider him a TO? No, you mentioned Knuckles. Knuckles, yeah, but come on, Knuckles a little the homie nerd. Shout out to my boy Knuckles. Look, and they're doing stuff. God bless. God bless. But our our main TOs didn't really help them. They didn't really help them. Honestly, they did not. Um, what do you think? What they do you didn't think put any effort in into it. If those guys didn't go out on, on their own to do it, they wouldn't have. In terms of con like, what, what could they be doing more than they're already doing now? Huh? What could we be doing? I don't know. Like, I, like, first of all, first of all, like, we don't have a unified do have stance on how we're handling this Nintendo thing. Doing the same thing, right? We don't even know internally. Apply license. Don't apply license. Why am I always the only voice? How about that? Why am I the only one ever on camera? I don't even run tournaments. Why am I the only one yelling about this? Why am I the only one talking about this? Why is it that I feel like we won't see Joe guy again until the next big house? And I say that because I've roomed with him. He's one of my best friends, right? Literally at big house, every big house, me and him share a room. We sleep together like men among a campfire. What? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, look, we need a little more. You know, you guys are the ones who are running the biggest tournaments. And I'm not calling him out necessarily. I'm only saying it because he's one of my best friends and he's someone I could talk to him more openly. You guys run the biggest tournaments. If you guys are completely checked out, we can't actually get anything done. What do you so want, what, Edwin? You're right, I didn't watch that. But the point is, did he actually talk <laughs> about those issues? Did he talk openly about how we should solve Nintendo or controllers or any of that? Or did, did it move progress forward? Did actually anything get done? You see what I'm saying? Do you just want my arm back? Maybe I don't need my arm. I get the get the new kids in. Make make a new my arm, guys. Get the who's the new full boom kid? What's his name? He seems cool. He seems cool. Get deer, deer. You do it, man. I don't know. Like we're too old. They keep telling me how I'm old and jaded. I'm just I'm a middle aged. I got to, I got called a middle aged man last weekend, Edwin. Hmm. You know how much that broke my heart. I'm not that old. Suddenly, a lot makes right? more sense. I'm like, all right, man, fine, but at least give me a little bit of like, a feeling of safety and trust that you guys actually understand what's going on, that you understand the blaring issues that are in front of us. And I haven't seen that. I haven't seen urgency. I haven't seen urgency, Edwin, and that's what I care about. And so, yeah, maybe I'm being a little mean. Maybe I'm being a little harsh to people who have quote unquote no obligations. But I'm saying, man. We never, I didn't have obligation for 15 years. I lost money for 15 years and I still did that shit. You know why? Because I thought it was good for the scene. And I thought it was necessary. If I'm going to take up the mantle, I'm going to respect the mantle. 
right? And that's what I think. I, I would never run tournaments without caring about the global scene. That's not something I would do, right? And so I'm just like, yo, maybe think about it. Maybe think about how your tournament fits in the ecosystem. Maybe think about other things you can do that helps the scene other than running your one tournament. I would enjoy that. I would like that, right? Maybe stop looking at every problem and be like, I have no, uh, this is not my problem, right? Because no one can solve the big problems without some of these key stakeholders, right? Everyone feels, keeps on throwing up their hands and saying, not my problem over and over again. Or not giving open, transparent di dialogue and we don't get anywhere, man. You know, I, I think that, I, I think you bring up like reasonable points. I just think that there, there's a possibility that like these discussions are happening. They just happen behind closed doors. And when you don't have like, you know, a circuit or a league or, or leverage from one event to another, you know, so much of this, so much of the scene that we're in is, is social, right? It's based on experience and based on like people with years of relationships working with each other. And I just think that the state in which that's in behind the scenes is, you know, given how new how new so many event organizers are to the scale of events that they're running. You know, there, there's growing pains that, that are associated with that. You know, the, the same people, the, there are a few people that are still running events today that, that were around like 10 years ago or even six years ago. But there's also a lot of new faces that are, that are in contact with each other. So. Sure. So I don't Tempo, know. Typo, This stuff is a process. Give your thoughts. I know you're typing up in chat. Just say it on camera. Yeah, I think the larger, I mean, I think I think the large sentiment that I see here, um, I'm trying to both sides this a little bit in temper, mm -hmm. is that I think there were probably a lot of decisions that snowballed because people just didn't have enough urgency. Like I think, for example, like the one immediately comes to mind is like when box controllers started coming out. Like I think waiting six years and just having it propel and snowball into what it became. Um, like I think there's just certain things where I think the community is collected it may be like we don't need a full unity but the community is looking for somebody to step up or like a committee of people to be like hey this is what we're doing like setting the vision setting the tone and giving a sense of like direction to certain things and this and saying that while also saying that like hey there's a lot of great stuff happening in the community so i don't want to like nitpick and say it's like all doom and gloom and all bad but i would say that there are people that should have taken quicker initiative to make decisions and i think what blur's talking about is how frequently people kind of just let it go to the wayside and kind of just hope it solves itself when there are a bunch of things that just we've seen don't really pan out that way yeah and and, and to to be clear yeah, i'm really I, talking about productive discussion so one thing go. that the homie jagzilla is saying in chat is every to i know was talking about it in in, in discord and, and talking and calls i was on calls i was on discord I'm talking about productive discussion, right? And here's what I mean. A bunch of people can be talking back and forth, but then nothing happens, right? That is not, I don't, I don't give a crap about that. I'm talking about meetings that matter, right? And a good example of that is some, like, let's say um, the way that the hacks thing was dealt with, right? We just had a, a left and drop out at a tournament. It's been, it's, been, it's been escalating and escalating for no reason. We've known for so long, every data point we need to know what to do about that, that case, and yet, for two years and tens of thousands of messages exchanged about it, TOs largely did nothing because they didn't want to go out there and do something for the great. And, and there's and the end, as far as I can tell, there's no unity around it, right? There's no actual like, hey, we're going to do this or that, right? Still, this far in, that's crazy. That's absurd, 
and it puts both players in a bad spot. It puts it's it's growing a weird subculture in the scene on Twitter that's like that I just I don't even understand what's going on, right? And and it's completely unnecessary. It's a thing that should be behind us. It should have been behind us two years ago with any sort of competent leadership. And so I'm saying, look, you're right. There's some great things that are happening in the scene. Battle BC had a weed boat. That was awesome. I liked that. I enjoyed myself. Big House was a great weekend for me. I did a lot of great things. You know, I had a fun time. I want to continue doing that. I want to continue doing those things for a longer period of time. And since those people are important stakeholders in making those things happen, um, they're going to have to step up in order to keep the culture alive. And that's the bottom line. And I'm just saying productive discourse needs to happen. And I know productive discourse when I see it, and I don't think it's been happening for a long time now, right? And as a result, we've been seeing larger communal issues grow and fester, right? They don't get solved. They get worse. And even if the scene will be fine, it'll be worse off with these issues, right? And so, like, look, man, all I'm asking for is for actual leadership to, to happen where people take accountability and, and, and make things happen and make some uncomfortable decisions. That's all. That's all I'm asking for. I think that this is the way that it eliminates. Like, I think in my time at Melee It On Me, like, I didn't see universal eye to eye in both my like kind of ideals and also execution uh, with Scar and Prague every time. Um, but there were decisions that they made that because they were willing to go forward and put their necks on the line, like I was like, okay, like I'm gonna support you, and I will, you know, I will retweet, I will bump it, um, because I believe in taking initiative and so for example when there's a big move, movement Prague and scar want to be a lot more upfront to go counterculture at the time of um using words like rape um and you know we kind of laugh at it now but there was a lot of pushback from a lot of internals like like why do we want to like police you know language why do we like but people don't mean rape, right, or whatever, or whatever the word is, or whatever, you know, we use, like, that's so lame, but replace lame with the three-letter version of it. Um, but they're like, hey, like, I don't believe this is right, and I'm going to stand up and say that we need to, we need to stop using this. And they went on, melee on me, um, you know, with their local communities. Um, they were having the conversations, and it did propel a movement to stop using a lot of things that we'd probably be embarrassed by. But at the time, a lot of people, a lot of top players, a lot of community figures were like, why are you going so hard on this? Like, this is so dumb. Like, it's not even that important. Um, and I think just being able to do that with some things becomes important because in creating kind of this like passive thing, you don't really move forward and you're letting the crowd be able to dictate decision making and that's what would happen with things like the box or if you don't address things properly then the community that may not be as informed now get the majority voice on community issues or interpersonal conflict because no one's taking a firm stance um, and so those are the things that immediately come to mind 
in terms of like, hey, you may not have full unity, but you need to propel the community to a certain direction or else you let Lazai fare and you let the Twitter person take control over making decisions and they start to have power in public sway. But we see time and time again, that may not be a good thing. So that's I mean, just like my short example of it. Yeah, I mean, and, and by the way, so I'm, I'm responding to a chatter at this point. Jack is now saying, Centralization in melee has never worked. What happened to the oh. five? The five literally Give him a better is the voice. Huh? Give, Give him, him a better dumb voice. guy voice. Yeah, come on, Jack. Okay, you. sorry. I love Jack. Jack knows that. I would kiss him on the lips if I could. Look, he said he would also. So that's that's not that's consensual. We talked about it. Okay, do um, it at Genesis. Huh? We might do just do that. Genesis. All right. We might, might just, just do, do that. It. Okay, already yeah. backing out. No, no, no. I okay. thought that you talked about you wanted to see people put their necks on the line. Look, he me and, and you him, can't even kiss Jack. Me and him, good looking he, man. Uh, he asked me what would I do if I knew the world was ending in a minute, and he looked at me and said, you, I, "He what he would do?" He said he would kiss me straight on the lips, and I looked at him with puppy dog eyes, and I'd be like, "Jack, I'd kiss you back." So we're we're on the same page here. I love the man, but to respond to him, he says centralization has never worked. What happened to the five? The five literally made a rule set that's been copy and pasted for a decade now. That worked. Now it was ugly. Most centralization things in Smash are going to be ugly and full of criticism. Why? Because we have a bunch of nerds who argue on forums. But did something get done? Yes. Did something happen? Yes. Did something important get accomplished? Absolutely. Right? We had a large. We, there's other many other instances where where centralization worked. Right? The Smash calendar has now been been working and working for like 12 years. Where Chios are able to coordinate dates. That's an example of centralization working, mm -hmm. right? There is, um, hell, we almost had a freaking circuit a second ago, right? With, well. with the tours, right? We almost, that's a thing that almost was centralization. Now, Nintendo mud, muddied it all up, but it was a thing that was moving towards centralization and coordination, right? These things. We actually uh, talked about how we didn't want that circuit to happen, though. I don't know if that's fair to give that. In, in point favor of point of the matter is, is you can't be like centralization doesn't work. Even the even the code of conduct where you're like, hey, they burned out. Sure, they burned out, but a lot of those conduct standards that are there are now in our rule sets and are now the, the knowledge that was gained about how to handle cases are something that we can use moving forward. Now, TOs in smaller regions and regions use as case studies of what they should do. Right? It wasn't all much to do about nothing. It's crazy to look at everything that every attempt and say, hey, nothing got done. That's just wrong. That's just wrong history. It's not correct. Right? Centralization has worked. I'm asking for more of those things. I'm asking for more attempts at those things. Right? From the best people that we have. We have some good minds. The new generation. Do it. We believe in you. Yeah. Uh, so if I can just mention something like kind of adjacent, this is not to like, you know, contradict the the truth in what we're saying, or, or like a different perspective. But just the just something that I think is just a note in terms of where the community is headed and what I think has created. Like, I'm gonna interrupt you because I've got one one important point of centralization yeah, sure, that worked. That that that's someone who was who's on the freaking stream. What about the rankings? You know how much Tafel was shit on about the rankings when he first made them, right? That's an example of centralization. You know how how it happened? Tafel said, "I'm just gonna make a list," and then he started talking to people. And that works, mm. right? That's it. That's and, all we need. And now people I get to do shit, shit like that. I was just gonna say now we. Yeah, you now we the, get shit on. Shit it's a yeah. beautiful circle of, of of events, dude. And, even retro SSBM rank 
when when me and Pika wrote those, it was meant to just be two peoples, and now it's literally just cited. It, and exactly, questions it. that's it. Retro SSBM rank is now fi- effectively the freaking rankings for the for those years, right? And it was a beautiful thing that you guys did, and it's something that helps the discourse and the understanding of the history of the game, right? These sort of things helped us. They helped us form uh, mo- uh, form movements around our game, right? I, the, I think, the, the, um, I think what's happening here, like, because. I think Jack Zill is not saying that centralization, so I think there might be something semantical. But I think we also interrupted Edwin's point. Yeah, Edwin, go ahead. But, Sorry, but, but if, yeah, yeah, no. The, the only thing I was gonna say is that I think, like, for 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 you guys in particular, and I, I think you'll agree with me. I think that I think the circumstances for like the community leaders in like 2014 or, or 2013, you know, this came after like basically go like a very particular set of circumstances of like a small scene effectively growing up together in like the in like a particular time right like from the late teenage years to basically early to mid adulthood right so like the the way that the community grew and it was like i'm just throwing spitballing a random number like 300 or 400 dedicated people and that the sectors of the community in which you could be involved in where well everybody could be involved in a lot but it's because everybody had to do a lot and that there were only so few ways to be involved in the scene i think that's i think that's very different today for where i feel like a lot of new generation leaders you know like maybe this maybe i don't want to call ourselves leaders but even like wheat and myself and like ambi or other people like coming out of the pandemic that suddenly have you know contribute to the scene in different ways we're coming at a time when the scene is much larger and there's a lot more ways to be involved and a lot more ways for people to to make an impact on the scene right and i just think coming out of a context like that versus coming out of a context like you know growing up together on a, on a forum website and traveling to a few majors a year when the scene is much smaller i do think there's additional obstacles that that the the current generation and new generation of leaders in these different areas have have to have because we didn't grow up with each other in a small scene we we came when the when you know the work you guys did in making the scene large was a uh, was already there but there but you know what when it comes to a transfer of community responsibilities and a, and a shifting understanding of who does what in the community and what sectors actually exist, you know, there there's going to be new leaders that that have to that have different obstacles to overcome when it comes to you know working together towards something. So I think there's a grain of truth that you know different community leaders could be working be- better together in, in different areas, like like player bands, well, for instance. But I think these these things come with time. Is, is, is all I I'm am saying. not of the belief that player bands really shows that we need to stick together more. Uh, if you want to bring up hacks, I think that is a situation that is completely different than any other player band we've ever dealt with, and I'm perfectly okay with tournaments not having a, a you know a consensus on that right like in terms of just tournaments right like if if there's someone who you don't want at your tournament i think that you're allowed to say so even if if uh, not everyone feels that way i think the safety and just the general attitude of the tournament that you want to curate i think that's up to you i i think that you know we can talk about box uh rules and i think that that is a great point in terms of centralization that's also something that yeah i mean that went back to what 2017 2016 right i think it's hard to point to the kevin deers of the world and and say stuff like that i know that you know it's obviously once it got introduced it became much much of a larger and more prevalent um problem issue what word are we using but uh i i do believe that you know the work that Pitas has done it, it's just hard for me to see him hustle his way around the little big house venue 
the big big house venue and meet with all these tos in order to to get this rule set up um even if it is later than than we've you know maybe uh would want it it's hard for me to say that and say that you know no one is doing anything they're all just sitting with their hands on their asses or whatever uh other than that i you know i i I, like i i'd love to hear more about where we need centralization because uh those two points i i think uh i don't really see eye to eye on that those two points are like necessarily the biggest issues that we have in terms of centralization of the scene i think that one is something that i don't think we necessarily need centralization for which is player bans and the other thing is something that i think that we've seen as an issue for so long that it's hard to really point fingers at any one specific group of tos because we've seen it over generations of tos um that being said this sounds like a blur you might have enjoyed yourself a ticket to foresight fights in the near future i don't think we get to decide that but seems like the work that you've done on this podcast probably have sealed that uh we have we're gonna wrap up the show we're coming on a little long i know that we are generally used to it in terms of these episodes that we have with uh with well you know with blur specifically but uh i do think the discussion that we had here was amazing i think that, that we have a lot of things that you know a lot of things that we get to think about you know not not every time do we have an episode and you end it with still stuff to think about i don't think every question we answer we ask got answered and i think that's fine because when it comes to stuff like the scene i think it's really hard to answer definitive questions in two hours or whatever we do uh that being said we do have some questions that we want some definitive answers to uh, i think we're just going to do one question for the patron questions this time and this is from time bones and i think that uh this does seem to be more catered towards blur but taffo if you have anything that you want to say on it of course jump in so time bones asks are there untapped resources for further closing that gap or are cheaper venue solutions the way of the future edwin was there a beginning sentence to this because this is all you sent me and it does seem like it is cut off yeah it was very long i was just i just figured i got to the meat of the question okay it was like so the meat of the question that says closing that gap but does not refer to what a what gap it is i (laughs) i think he's talking about like revenue okay we're talking about revenue streams for, for tournaments uh is there a way where we can i guess close the gap between uh, price and uh, profit is that what it is or, or is it just cheaper solutions yeah i guess the question is if we want to profit more should we just go cheaper venues or are there untapped resources blur you kind of already answered this in terms of street fighter six and other stuff like that but if you have any other if you are taffo of any other answers to this question please go ahead Alex, Edwin, do you, do you have anything <laughs> that you want to say? <laughs> I don't. I guess I guess Blur doesn't have. Well, I don't really understand the question. Something about revenue, and you you guys just uh, I, I don't know. What's Tom Bowles' question? Edwin. All right, I'm just gonna read the whole thing. Okay, God, time bones. Your whole long. You're a journalist major. You can you can uh, summarize it. Yeah, it feels like lately pr- budget and profitability has come more into the conversation for the large convention center tournaments as convention centers and their fees become more expensive. And we've seen some creative ways to close that profitability gap. Are there untapped resources for further closing that gap, or are cheaper venue solutions the way of the future? Um. Okay. So. There's, there's a lot to, to that question. Um, 
in terms of ways we can increase our profitability. As I said earlier, I think one of the best ways is by including more games and being more diverse. Um, I, you should keep in mind though, that at, at the, on the onset, that's mostly going to be a cost, not, not a profit, uh, which is awkward for TOs. Uh, like you're going to have to get PlayStations and TVs and give them space. And you're going to have to deal with the uncertainty of, are they going to show up? Like, like tons of, tons of questions where, you know, it actually might cost you more than, a, than, than, it, than, it, than it gives you, especially at the beginning, especially if you don't have like local events that you're also hosting for those games where you can build the credibility in the, that region so that people have your back uh, when, when your major comes, right? So that one's weird. It does help a little bit. Um, other sources of profitability, I'd say, are um, local sponsors. Um, so I think uh, those are still a bit, bit untapped. Um, you, uh, you know, there's still like, if you, if you're a Detroit business, you can, uh, you can, uh, definitely, uh, use a shout out with, with, a, at a large convention. Um, if people are, are around, right. Um, you see this mm -hmm. with like CEO sometimes. Um, I think they gave like, they worked with like the Popeyes that was close to them for, for giving people discounts, like stuff like that. I, I know that's like a bigger chain, but like the general idea of like, Hey, you know, what if, you know, we give people a discount you know, uh, any attendee a discount for a restaurant that's near you and that restaurant pays you for that privilege. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, stuff like that I think is, 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 is really untapped. Um, I think that, um, more catering, uh, sales could be better. Um, so in venue now, this is sometimes restricted by convention centers, but, uh, ones that revenues that don't, I think, uh, you know, having the people at your venue, uh, eat food that you provide and you sell, um, is a great way to make more money. Um, that that does help uh, quite a bit. Um, another thing is, I think pricing tiers. I think uh, figuring out our pricing tiers to be more optimal, such that a spectator who's not actually trying to compete or just there for one day has options in order to make that better. Um, I think some events are getting that down, uh, but some events, especially the mid-size events, I still look at their pricing and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're leaving a lot of money on the table um, because you're you're making it too too onerous. Uh, for uh, some, some you know, the non-hardcore, let's say, melee entrant, you know, to, to come, right? Um, so anyone who's not a hardcore melee entrant to come, right? Um, so I think there's that. Um, there is, um, I think there is a, uh, there's monetization that could be done in coordinating with large brands that do not involve Event sponsorships, it's clear that the Nintendo is making that harder and harder. Um, so, like, you know, maybe ask a little bit more of the um, Chesses, Golden Guardians, Red Bulls of the world that aren't, hey, sponsor our tournament, but rather, hey, do you want to do this unique activation with players that are at our tournament, right? Um, and, and see if there's some, some wiggle room there and, 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 and work with the players to give that, make sure that they're okay with those obligations. And hopefully you can build in revenue there. Um, I mean, there's like a 3000 good ways, I think, um, that, that makes sense, um, that are, that are money left on the table, but like, um, you know, those are some, I don't know. I could go on for a lot. There's like probably a list of like 12, 13. Um, I would love if there was also a little bit more smart crowdfunding, um, I think one of the things that would really get a TO off the ground running like really hard is if there would be some level of Patreon solution. Um, this is for big, big TOs, right? So let's say 
Like if you just you've talked about this go, for a while, right? If you went back in time, right, and you looked at let's say my heyday, right, where I was really active, um, I was running SSS. I had the Kings of Cali's, and eventually I had you know so I had a handful of majors, and I had a biweekly that was big, and eventually there was uh, training more Tuesday too, so I had a weekly that was big, right? Uh, that was big enough at that point to be able to to build some sort of Patreon or loyalty system or maybe a Twitch sub program that like made sense. Um, and I think like there is a truth that like if it's yoga gets to the point where they're more than one event, where they're like a series of events, um, the monetization opens up a lot more, right? Um, that that makes it more possible to make benefits for uh, for people who give them a little money. So what could Patreon incentives look like? Um, you know, to start, I think one thing would be like Slippy files. Um, so like, let's say you say, hey, our entire tournament Slippy file archive is available for Patreon sub subscribers. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you get access to that. Um, you could even do VOD lockouts where like, let's say uh, Big House just happened, right? And uh, we had a recording setup and we had a uh, the mainstream setup, mainstream setup available to everybody. What if the recording setups were patron only? Uh, for like a time period, for like a week only, right? Um, and they got early access to that. What if unique content was gated behind Patreon? Um, you know, when you had access to those. I know if I was running SSS in, in a modern era, I would like, you know, try to work with the players and maybe say, hey, here's a unique 30-minute fiction video where he talks about how to play Falco. I don't know. You know like, things like that where I work with my relationships within that local scene and be like, hey, bro, I need this from you. Give him a little bit of money. And then make that happen with gated content. I think it's Yo who gets to that point, was able to build a following enough uh, to, to to build genuine subscribers who and genuine loyalty beyond their little island. And you know, someone could be a fan of them and not just uh, their one event. Um, yeah, that 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 one could really take off, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. You know, so um, that's really speaking to like the few Tios that can maybe get there, uh, but they would need to run a lot more. Lots of good ideas there. Lots of good ideas. Hope to see some implemented in the near future. Before we go, we have a segment uh, unnamed, but known by the fans as Touching Grass. You guys have both been on, so you know that Touching Grass is the segment where we talk about something that's been going on in our lives outside of Melee. I will go first to give you guys some time to think. Um, lately, Touching Grass has been sports and family segment um and i'm sure that we're gonna have those time in the near future uh the nba season is starting that's super cool um i'm gonna save that maybe next week if the team that i support doesn't make me want to kill myself so until then i will talk about two minute barriers that have been very cool to see um and during the pandemic i got really into watching speedruns for super mario 64 and anyone who does not know uh, about what's been going on in Super Mario 64 is that there is a huge uh, break, basically this skip for one specific star that was basically like an auto-scroller uh, was joked about as a as a meme forever as this type of thing that was not feasible to even do and definitely not feasible in RTA and that is carpetless um, this year, this past I think it was a month or two months ago we saw someone who created a way to do it that created that, that um, required a couple frame perfect inputs and even led to the guy who has four of the five records in the game to quit because he doesn't like the idea that that is the future of the game, that it, everything is based on hitting those, uh, you know, this, these very specific coordinates and these very specific um, frame inputs. And it became this whole thing of like, well, 
do we let them see their coordinates, right? Do, are they able to have an overlay where they can see what direction they're holding to the degree? Or does that kill the game? Uh, luckily, they found an easier way to do it. And because of that, we have seen, I believe, three world records in like a week. One of those was something that we thought was un uh, impossible, which was the 136 barrier. The current record for uh, Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario 64, 120 stars is one hour, 36 minutes and who, however many seconds I forget, which is an insane barrier, a minute barrier that we never saw broken before. So that was very cool to see that was during the big house. So I was not able to actually watch any of those streams live, but it was cool to see these updates. And another minute barrier that happened is a little more personal and Tafo knows about it is I've been playing Tetris for a little bit now. I think I started in April. Uh, playing on T uh, Tetrio, the the online one, and I've been doing forty lines. It took me a real long time to kind of get to this, but as of a week ago, I hit under a minute to to accomplish that. Now Tafo, I think his record is at thirty six seconds. Um, so I'm definitely beat there. But uh, the minute barrier was this thing that kind of stood in my way for a long time. I was at one hundred four for a while. I was at 102 for a while. I was at 101 for a long time. So hitting 59 seconds felt very, very good. Uh, and now it's time to finally buckle down. And actually, there I was telling Tafo, there's a very specific thing. <laughs> I only spin my, my pieces one way, so I have to actually learn how to spin them both ways. So I got some work to do now that I hit the minute barrier, but very fun accomplishment that I just had. Edwin, what have you been up to? Sports and family? <laughs> Yeah, but I want to. I'm gonna uh, drill down drill on the family down. thing first. Are we drilling down right now? Uh, I gotta go to the gym. Why are we drilling, drilling down? The show's long enough, hours, guys. <laughs> let him, let him drill down. This, hey, this, settle, let him drill down settle down, down there. Hold on, let me. I gotta watch be, Wemby. It'll be, it'll be quick. You'll watch Wemby. <laughs> I gotta watch one be also. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> anyhow. So started. Go on. Go yeah. On. So on. Uh, so I've been spending a ton. I wasn't able to go to big house because I just had a pretty big family obligation. I've actually been housing my sister and my my uh, and her husband uh, for the last few days. It's been pretty fun. They left this morning, but on Sunday I went to a uh, puja, which if, you know I'm probably going to butcher what it actually is. I'm just speaking broadly. It's basically like a religious ceremony for like the for a bunch of different occasions. But I went to one because uh, my cousin bought a home, so me and Kimberly drove to Boston where they they bought a home and basically like this puja is just like kind of this long religious ceremony and it, i suddenly found myself in the process where like so if, if you know me i'm i'm just you know I'm, I'm just not very religious at all so but uh basically what's supposed to happen is that like the people that are moving into the home are supposed to read from like a storybook and it's filled with these just like chapters of these like it's basically like Aesop's fables, but from like thousands of years ago that are like, oh, like, you know, this couple bought this home and it was very auspicious and it was a holy occasion. But, you know, like the husband was arrogant and uh, like declined to eat this holy food. So his father-in-law got really sick and like drowned on a boat. So the husband like prayed to God to like save his father-in-law and the and god told him to like eat the holy food so he did and his like his father-in-law was saved right so like this book of all these type of stories are like the long story short is it's getting passed around like the key family members and i found myself 
reading the last, like, the ultimate chapter of the story. And it was, like, the one with all the longest names. And it was the one with, like, it was, like, the most ridiculous premise. I don't even remember what it was. But just, like, they gave me the book. And I and I basically am delivering, like, the final, like, fable or whatever, right? Like, the final, like, like, basically, like, the final part of the ceremony before everybody gets up and, like, gives their blessings to the family that's moving in or whatever. And it was just, it was such a surreal moment because at first I wanted to dec- to decline, but then when I actually went through with it, when none of my family was expecting me to do it, I mean, to just see the look on everyone's face, like, what, like, why is, why is Anok doing this? <laughs> why, because, like, where is this coming from? Just reading these, like... N- these just like crazy stories with like thousands of years or whatever behind them it was just like it was just a very surreal experience i don't know and it it didn't really hit me how ridiculous it was in the moment but then just like days after when i was talking to my the like the rest of my immediate family they they just could not believe that i played like you know really any role in this like any critical role in this just like very auspicious ceremony that my uh my my cousin and his wife were in for the for the new home. So I don't know. Just funny to funny to I guess the moral of the story or my takeaway is just it's it's funny to catch yourself in a position of just like random influence or attention during like what you otherwise assumed was just like attending an innocuous like tradition or, or something. Sounds a lot like melee. Innocuous traditions, attention, auspicious. Uh, glad to hear the family and sports portion. At least the half of it is still alive and good in uh, in touching grass. Blurry, you don't want anything drilled down. What have you been up to recently? I went to the big house. We just talked True. about it, but no. Um, you know, one thing about that, real quick, is that um, what's weird about this big house is I felt like the most boring. This has never happened to me before. The most boring uh, hours during my weekend. We're on commentary. And I, I, I say this. I say this because I had so many interesting and fascinating conversations uh, throughout the weekend. And I felt like the least interesting conversations were the ones were with, with Melee on screen. It was like it was like weird. Um, not to say that I didn't enjoy that too. Um, but it really got me thinking because I was like, so I had like a, until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. conversation with Moki and Zane. Um, I had like we watched uh, Eight Mile um, and this movie Nice Guys, the two Detroit themed movies mm-hmm. with Scar, Toph, uh, Rachel, and Atrioc. Uh, we did that until like two, three a.m. That and Ben SW was there too. Uh, that was really, really memorable and fun. Uh, we had a really funny like airport drive with those sa- that same group. Um, that was awesome. I had like great dinners and things like that. Those are the things that that were there. And a lot of those conversations were like really free and open and and they felt good. And uh in, in terms of touching grass, like I kind of like the thing the thing that's been like stuck in my craw about um uh, the thing the, the part of the culture that hasn't been transferred so neatly to the the, the world is I've I've been thinking about like how the sides of us that the 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 that, that we're displaying on camera are actually the least interesting sides of the community and the scene and the people. Um, like if most of my weekend was on camera, that wasn't the ones that I commentated. That would, that was the good, that was actually the good content. That was the best content. That was the stuff that pe- that would get hundred K plus views. Like genuinely Start live like, vlogging. 
you know, these the are the things I'm thinking about. And I, I, I think, I think it's one of the things that like the documentary did is that made people understand the community on a deeper level. I think there's a level of understanding that still needs to be reached about why is this thing so cool and why is it so good? And part of it is the touch and grass aspect of it, of a lot of us have become such good friends and, and, and that friendship has gone so deep at this point that I had a lot of fun with it and seeing, seeing people I care about, um, in terms of like the in-person interactions and a lot of times when we put out a broadcast where we're talking about fox and falco shine and and blah 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 we don't really get to show that half of it and i i've been kind of like mulling on how we can show that part a little bit better um it's been something that's been like in my head right um i mean uh so so there's that um as far as other things like pretty much today there's only one thing on my mind today and that's victor Wembanyama. As everyone knows, I'm a big Spurs fan. I also love the Eagles. Shout, we, we beat the Dolphins recently. That was awesome. Uh, great win. They said um, we couldn't do it. They said we couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is going to be like the most fascinating season of basketball in a while. I am so hyped. I got to talk about the NBA with uh, with uh, Homemade Wobbles Brandon for like at least an hour or two uh, during my weekend. I was like, yeah, I had a really good lunch with him and and the real thing and like all of them. Those those. Uh, that was that was really fun. Daryl and uh, a bunch of others were there, like stuff like that. Like I don't know, I just feel like my life's hitting its hitting its peak right now. We I got to be honest with you, uh, it just keeps on getting better, and uh, so I'm really happy at this very moment. I'm very I'm very joyous, grateful for everyone around me, um, and uh, I'm thinking about how to share that to more people. Hope you figure out how to share it. Seems like you got a lot of joy. And uh, we could all use some blur joy in our lives. Taffo, what about you? What have you been up to recently? I know you are a busy man. Yeah, Unmute let me, yourself. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, bring the prop. Um, so there's two oh, cool Of course things. there's a prop. Uh, all right, Edwin. While he's getting the prop, distract the audience. Um, I've been making coffee. You've been making coffee? That's your thing? Okay. He's coffee, back. Uh, so, I don't want to hear about your coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two things. <laughs> You've been um, making coffee. I, uh, oh, my coffee game's sick now. <laughs> it's going to be a new so, Pokemon so card, is my guess. The purchase is this. I've been looking for this card for literally four mm. years, and I finally found it. I know him too well. I know him too well. <laughs> Um, this is the last PSA nine I needed. This only there's only ten of these that exist. Oh, you've been dude, oh. you've been talking about how you've been trying to get this one for like. You guys have no idea how much this means to him. He's been trying to get that for like years. Of Gengars, right? I had sent so many of these to PSA and none of them hit the grade. And then I found it on eBay and I just sniped it. And then this came last week. But that's the vanity one. <clears throat> the sweet one is actually this. Um, and it's this beautiful quilted thing. And the story behind it is uh, Vicky and I go to a church in Anaheim where there's a fair amount of, I guess, older people. Um, and there's a late, there's an old elderly couple who are in their 60s or 70s. They have grandkids and everything. Um, they found out we were having a baby, uh, you know, a few months ago. And then they surprised us with this quilt that, um, that she made from scratch uh, for our baby. And I thought this was just really sweet um, because this probably took a lot of time and we were just really surprised. And so it was definitely a really big highlight for us to just have this really beautiful blanket that was just, I don't even know how long this is, this takes to make. Like, but yeah. Probably like, months. 
but like we were just really grateful and so it was just a sweet moment and they were just really sweet that is adorable family man moment and I Edwin, love if it. you ever want a free quilt now you know what to do yes now you know I'll bring my ceremonial prowess. I don't know how. I don't know I don't how, what that has to do with it. But. Oh, I, I. So can I? Can I? Can I? Can I say something? Can I say something about my um, partner, the Blur? Go yes. ahead. Uh, blur was that fishing at Toast's wedding. Oh yeah. How did that go? I married Toph. I literally Dang. married Toph. That was something that cool go? that happened. That is cool. But anyway, that's like its own story for another day, but wanted to throw that out there because it would get lost in the ethos forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How'd you do, Blair? Uh, I was given rave reviews. Uh, so I think I did good. Um, I think I did better than Jackzilla because apparently he married his sister and then they got divorced shortly after. So, oh, we don't bring that up. That's messed he just, up. He just brought it up in chat. Come on. That would feel like a waste of work. You know what I did for my sister's wedding? I apparently got, got uh, so drunk that the bartender denied me before my, uh, before my speech, which was like the final speech before like the reception in the evening, and then I Jesus blacked out Christ, dude. and passed, passed See, I've out. always said you have a problem. That was the last time I blacked out. Now, you, when you're talking about making coffee, what does it have in it? Is there a special ingredient in it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> do, we, do we have a crutch? No, they... <laughs> anyway, we'll discuss this on a future episode, I'm sure. We, uh, you know, we kind of know what we're getting into with you two, uh, but uh, it's been a long one. But it's been a very good one. But that, but that being said, you know, discussion does have to end at a certain point. Um, Tafo, if people want to find you on the air network, and they do so. Um, yes, this is the part we were waiting for. Um, I maximize Twitter engagement via Twitter. And where? What's your tw- <laughs> for the audio know. list? Can you do you want to say <laughs> yeah. the Twitter or they know? Okay, they know. it's true. They do know. That's the truth. Uh, and you're running a little Tetris thing on there for any top 50 player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Blur, where can the people find you? Or are you just going to say they know? They know. They know. Well, as for us, I can do the whole spiel. Twitch.tv slash Melee Stats for these episodes live. Melee Stats Archive on YouTube, where these episodes go up later. Twitter.com slash Melee Stats Pod for daily updates. MeleeStats.co for our Monday Morning Marth and, and uh, Wednes Melee articles. And Patreon. you guys came out with a video recently, too. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm, get, I'm building to it. Patreon.com slash Melee Stats if you just love us. And if you want to see our long-form content, including our new video, Melee's Terrible Stages and How We Ban Them and Why We Ban Them, I don't really remember the exact title. We came up with it a day before. Uh, we made a 35-minute video on the sets and the people that brought us to banning some of the crazy stages and kind of was a overview of how we got to the stage list that we currently have today. Question mark. Um, I think it is a video that we <laughs> undoubtedly put the most work into considering how long it's been, uh, you know, since we made one before, but I also think it's one of our best videos. It is one that I am really proud of and one that we will be talking about in the near future on an episode. We're also um, for anyone who wants to hear more about it, who liked the video, um, we 
are doing a director's commentary that's going to be coming out on Patreon in the near future. I believe the $2, unless I'm wrong, I believe the $2 tier gets access to that. Uh, basically, it is a it is a video where we watch the video, and then me, Ambi, and Edwin kind of talk about the process, talk about some, some things that happen behind it. There's one line in particular that, for whatever reason, I could not actually read. I I, it took, exactly I think, 30 minutes because I cracked up at every single time. We actually ended the recording session for that day because I literally could not say a certain line without breaking up. Wait a second. Complete laughter. You guys are making money on Patreon? We have some money on Patreon. We got a little right, that's how you guys uh, fly some of those players out. Name some players you flew out. This past year, we flew out Mo, we flew out Quang, we had Billy Bo Peep, Koopa Troopa eight nine five. Flash. You guys are using money for Koopa Troopa eight nine five. J Camp, this Cohen. Floor's not getting any anything. He just spent three hours on here. He's getting nothing. Koopa Troopa eight nine five is getting it all. What can I say? Anyway. If you want to support us and support just, us, bring I'm up just curious, more you know, Koopa Troopas eight nines five. Steve's important to mention. Beat Zamu Blur. <laughs> I love Koopa. I actually had a flight with him. Me and him talked the entire flight. We were he was sitting next to me. You know uh, the funny thing about Koopa, we flew him to a couple things this year. The entire time we fly him, Gommel, Shine. What else? There's another one. <laughs> Comma Breaker. He doesn't see another Smash on any of these flights. We fly him Spirit once, and he sees like 10 Smashers. So I guess if you're a SoCal Smasher and you want to uh, hang out with your friends, take Spirit, I guess, is the I mean, I was on Spirit, too. It's, it's, it's getting rough. Dude, Slime was on Spirit last time I saw him. That was like... Actually, it just saves you money, man. Like, it's the same. They treat you like cattle either way. True. Like, it's not that different. Well, anyway, I'd love to talk more about Airlines and uh, what else? Whatever else we were talking about. Quilts. Sub to the Patreon. Give them money. Sub to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Melee Stats. You are the reason why we're able to make stuff like this happen. You are the reason why we're able to fly players out and, uh, you know, make content. So, you know, if you want to support us in the best way possible, that's that. That's it right there. Patreon.com slash Melee Stats. And, yeah, we will be uh, we'll be back in the near future on this podcast to talk about specifically that, uh, that band stages video. We're going to talk kind of more about the process behind it and if you want to hear even more if you want uh you know if you want to hear the director's commentary that is also coming in the near future to patreon so you can find that there when it comes out um we'll be back in the near future on this podcast to see you later thank you for watching everyone and thank you too for being on peace